Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I usually plan out really in-depth what I'm going to talk about with each guest. But with you, Katie, because I'm just looking forward to catching up, I'm just going to freestyle it. So, freestyle away. Cheers. Good to see you, my love. Clink. Five years. I love that you're drinking beer and I'm on the water. It's not very rock and roll, is it? It's not, but I could have said to the audience that you were drinking gin and tonic. And let's, it could have been rewind. that. Clink. Ooh. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this gin and tonic. Bit of Plymouth gin there. Double with lime. Ovs. It has to, so is gin and tonic your drink? Is that or is your it go-to? Lemon? I don't know. It, I think it might be lemon you have gin and tonic with. I have lime. Every, Do you? T- lime every time. So we've got gin on our little uh, drinks table. I'm into Sipsmith gin, the, uh, the flavoured gin. Here, look. Go on, bring one over. So if I ever get my own place, if this podcast ever makes me any money, my dream is to have like a globe bar. That's gin. Yeah. It's slow oh, gin. slow gin. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> what did you say? Flavoured gin. Sipsmith gin. Yeah, isn't it? So isn't, this is like a winter warmer, isn't it? Isn't this slow is gin flavoured? Yeah, it is. It's a juniper berry. See, I know nothing about gin. I've worked and spent a lot of time in many bars over the years. So I'd say after music. Alcohol is my second favourite pastime. Oh my goodness, juniper berry. <laughs> Never knew that. It's lovely and I have it with soda. I don't have it with tonic. Soda? I know. <laughs> All the gin fans. Campari like, and soda, please, love. I know. So are you, are you still enjoying a drink? Because what I love about you, to kind of just go off on a real weird tangent to start, go is on. you're someone who is so health conscious and takes such good care of themselves, but then you still party as well. 
<laughs> and that's a really rare and special thing because you i think you're Is either it? yeah because most people i know are either super into fitness and they're like i don't drink i don't party i don't let my hair down i take care of myself and i'm totally obsessed with just staying on the right track mm-hmm. and being good whereas you will have those moments where you're in the gym and obviously you're shedding the pounds and yeah. getting into it but then you'll go out and raise hell and I feel like that is time. that sums up my life in general I have with everything in life like I'll have really big highs and really big lows I will go to the gym and work out and do a killer ab session and then I'll go and drink my own body weight and vodka at the weekend I'll do some yoga and then I'll go and eat a cake do you know what I mean and that's the other thing I love about you is you obviously eat well but mm. then you pig out and you enjoy junk food as well oh yeah so what it is right I can't diet I can't do the whole diet thing. I don't believe in dieting like Atkins diet or the whatever diet. Have you ever tried I've, any of them? I've tried the 16-8 diet. What's that? It's the closest thing. I'm going to take my shirt off whilst you tell us what that is. Oi, oi. My shit-stained shirt from Kate's Oh, I'm sorry about that. Matt's wearing a lovely fetching white t-shirt and there's a right in the middle literally in between his nipples there is a massive mud stain <laughs> and, <laughs> and your boyfriend was just dog. like I just thought you had a busy day mate just, <laughs> no I'm not a tramp plastering no that was my dog jumping up to see you because he was so excited because it's been five years um, what were we just talking about the I've got 16, such a bad memory diet it's okay 16, well, the reason I love podcasts is because there is no time constraint we can go off and Six- anywhere we like <coughs> excuse me you're excused. Edit. 16-8. I don't edit anything out, by the way, do as not? well. So oh, whatever please. happens, Edit that cough. In. No, there's no way. Why would you do that? It's kind of like the unofficial tagline that I have for the whole show. Okay. So people get transparency and honesty. Oh. Listen to, if you get the time, I did a podcast with Brian Fallon from the Gaslight Anthem. Right. And it was so awkward. <gasps> and there was such moments of, like, we'd hit walls. And then I'd kind of just find a way to go around them or over them and continue. And I just kept it all in. And it's, like, one of the most listened to episodes. And people love it for Brilliant. that reason. Warts that, and all. That fills me with joy. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. That fills me with joy knowing that you're going to keep in. What? Are you even going to keep in the pit where I run off and get the slow gin? Yeah, that's all staying in. Are you serious? Yeah, 100%. Podcasting, baby. You're even going to keep in the pit where I rewound and I said that I was drinking gin and tonic even though I'm drinking water from the tap. Yep. All of that's staying in. (laughs) Even this bit right now. <laughs> I can't get my head around it. And I've also forgotten again what we were talking about. The 16-8 right. diet. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. He's apparently gay. Wolverine. This is news I recently heard. Oh, Matt, where have you been for the last 10 years? Is it well known? I don't know. I'm not, I can't, you know, we can't say it, but apparently rumour has it that, yeah, his wife is the beard. There's a rumour. I don't believe it. I think he's madly in love with his wife and he's straight. But it doesn't matter if he is gay. Certainly it's okay not. to be gay. Of course it is. You know, you know, you know who else gay? I heard is also gay? Who? George Clooney. Matt. Again, where have I been? Is this common knowledge? So I was with someone last night. I think it was last night. It was at least in the last two days. And she was like, guess who's gay? And I was thinking they were going to say someone we knew, like a mutual friend. And she goes, George Clooney. You can't say that. He's not gay. You can't say he's gay. I'm just saying that she said to me that he's gay. There's a rumour. There's rumours that everyone's gay. I hear that a different celebrity is gay every week. But the way you looked at me when I said George Clooney implies that I don't know anything about that. You don't. I can't implement you I've got to be anyway. careful what I say here. You have. Anyway. George Clooney might be listening. Can we, I must have said 16-8 Hugh Jackman a thousand times. We've still not got to the 16-8 point. He, when he was um, 
getting in shape for his role as Wolverine did the 16-8 diet. You eat for eight hours, you starve yourself for 16 hours, which sounds really drastic. You don't eat solidly for for eight hours. For example, my my 16-8 clock goes like this. Between the hours of midday and 8 p.m., I will be able to eat. After 8 p.m. until midday the following day, Nothing passes my lips except water, water, coffee. It's meant to be black coffee, but I don't care. I have a latte because I like my milk and it's always almond milk or coconut milk, FYI. Or Down with a, dairy. Or a juice. Like I'll just make myself a juice, which you're not supposed to have either because that's food. It's fruit, vegged, processed, right? Uh, blended. But I do that anyway because I think, do you know what? I can't. I reckon I can get away with it because I want my dog two hours a day. And that's yeah. why you can't diet, essentially, is you try and find loopholes or gaps. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I can, I can add that in. <laughs> yeah. So dieting doesn't work for you because you have a lack of self-control. Yes, in every aspect of my life. So dieting doesn't work, but I'd rather, think about it, you're one of two people, right? You either can eat a salad and sit at your desk all day and get the bus home and not exercise, or you like your food, you eat what you want, but you can exercise. I mean, there is a third option. You eat what you want and you don't exercise and you become too fat to leave your house and you need a cherry picker to get you out the window. I've seen it on Jerry Springer. I've seen that happen. It's happened. An actual truck. Yeah, cherry picker. They can't get out of the front door to take them to hospital. Like in, what's that movie where that actually happens? Shallow How. No, No. the one with Johnny Depp in the 90s. What's eating Gilbert Grape? That happens in that, right? I've never never seen that. Leonardo DiCaprio's in that and he plays a kid with autism and he is so insanely good. And he was obviously the heartthrob, wasn't he? Because of yeah. Romeo and Juliet and Titanic. But he was always good. Do you want to hear something else? I haven't seen Romeo and Juliet. Never. So what was... No, never. So what was... Um, you right? Leonardo, I feel... Are you going to keep in burps? Can you edit them out? <laughs> you bang out of order. I'm going to keep I this need bit to, into. I need to burp. You can burp. Yeah, but you said it's going to be... I'll just say it was me. Err... <laughs> <laughs> I really need to burp. It's so frustrating. Why are you so annoying keeping all this in? So yeah, 16 you should try it because I'll tell you what. What are you saying? It's, it's really not. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you needed to lose weight, I'm talking to anyone listening. Yeah. If you need to lose weight, it's, you're not starving yourself for that long. Think about it. Like Most people have their dinner around eight o'clock at night anyway. And then you would have maybe a coffee in the morning. You you do kind of skip breakfast. But my, my, my I still have three meals a day. So my breakfast is at noon. My lunch is at four. And my dinner is at eight. And there you go. You're still having three meals a day. You have breakfast at noon. Mm-hmm. But you strike me as someone who gets up at like seven. I get up at half seven, eight o'clock every day. So, and you just don't eat for the first four hours of the day? Have a coffee. Have and a that's ju- have to a keep juice you going. What time are you on air at Virgin? One o'clock. So yeah, just before I leave, about half 11, I'll do it. So it's not really 16, eight, it's more six, it's more like 15, <laughs> well, seven. diet. So let me ask you this, Katie. You've obviously sort of been in the public eye for a while. <clears throat> do you see yourself as someone who likes to try and set an example, for lack of a better term, when it comes to lifestyle and things like that? Or do you not really care? Because I know that you always kind of share a lot of yourself online, don't you? Mm. You've always been very transparent and honest about most elements of your life. And obviously people, when you're that open and honest, feel like they can kind of have a say with certain elements, I guess, as well. It's a good question. I think the older I've got, the um, the less misbehaved I am being. I went off the rails a little bit when I was younger. I was in my 20s, though. And I, I've got to say, there are some things I look back and I cringe hard. But I don't regret doing them because I don't think you should. I know it's a cliche. Everyone says it. Never have any regrets. But I just don't think you should. You should just put it down to an experience, learn from it and move on. And I've done that. I've learned from so many experiences, good and bad. But in my 20s, I did go off the rails. I partied hard. I did what every 20-year-old should do. 
I think, and does do. And does do. Well, not necessarily. I've got a twin sister who was married by the time she was 21. She had then divorced. Then she had two kids. And in her 20s, she was a mum. So she, and she's never drunk an alcoholic drink in her life. Really? Never? Never. Wow. She hasn't even touched it. She and did this a shot. Is a twin sister. Twin sister. Have you just got one sister? Got two. 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 The older sister's just like me. Okay. Uh, loves a party, loves a drink. Right, right. Loves a smoke, unfortunately. But there we go. We've all got our vices, we haven't we? We certainly do. But Karen, my twin, has never tried alcohol people who've always sort of had that abstinence from alcohol always fascinate me i find it i find it fascinating i'm my twin sister is one of the most fascinating human beings she's a massive knob right she doesn't eat any fruit or vegetables i love her but she's a knob she's never drunk is there there a reason why she doesn't eat fruit or vegetables matt she's 37 and she only tried hot chocolate last year for the first time and did she enjoy it? She loved it. Yeah. She, she now messaged, she can't get off the stuff. She, <laughs> she messaged the Lawler family WhatsApp group going, guys, I've just tried hot chocolate. And we were like, I was like, how are you and I related? How are we related? Are you, are you super close as a family? Yeah. Because I remember when we were on Kerrang! together, and we'll talk about all of that hopefully later on, but you'd always get family members on air and you're always sort of sharing elements yeah. of that side of your family life with, you know, your followers online and everything yeah. as well. And it seems like a lot of your personality comes from your parents. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Tell me about your parents growing up, what it they really were like does. and what your childhood I lo- was like. Do you know what I love about this conversation? We keep going from conversation to go. We haven't even finished this stuff about, you know. The diet? No, they're going off your rails in your, in your 20s. I know we're going to come back to that. We could, we're yeah, gonna, yeah, we're yeah. Gonna, we're going we're to start and we're going to go to family life in the early days. Oh, crikey. Growing up in, whereabouts in London? Beckenham, in Kent. You are right, actually, about me getting my personality from my parents. I'm, I'm, I'm my dad through and through. I look like my mum. Actually, I look a bit like my dad. I've got his nose and his big, massive toes and his flat chest. <laughs> Thanks, Desmond. You wouldn't want your dad to not have a flat chest, though, would you? <laughs> yeah. Would you want him to have big mammary glands? No. Like Meatloaf, no. who you've interviewed? <laughs> Has Meatloaf got bitch tits? He has in Fight Club. Hasn't oh, he the character? Oh, my goodness. I forgot about yeah, that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Hello. wow. Yeah, my parents are ace. We have, I'm so, so grateful and so lucky to have been brought up in a in a big family with siblings and they weren't rich. They didn't have a lot of money. We never, um, we never went on big holidays abroad. We never went on, but we only went on one holiday as a family abroad when we were younger, but we weren't poor. My parents had, you know, enough money for us to get by and they had four children to raise and we lived in a, a three bed uh, terraced house we had a loft conversion by the time we were teenagers so that my sister could move up and you know my twin sister and I still had to share a room until my big sister moved out do you know what I mean but um we had you know Christmases we all got presents and stuff we we never got you know like the best presents like my some of my friends would get trips to florida and cars and stuff like that in their teens but like they were you know their parents were rich yeah but we we had everything we ever wanted and we used to go to the isle of Wight every year and stay in my grandparents bungalow and it was just like you know a cheap and cheerful holiday to the isle of Wight to some people but you know it cost my parents a lot of money still to, to go away for two weeks with four kids to the, to the Isle of so Wight so you're saying four kids I mm-hmm. thought there was you your twin so there's, and... there's my big sister and then there's my little bro oh you've got, so another, you've got yeah. a little brother I never yeah. knew you had a brother Robert's the guy who really doesn't appear a lot on my social media right okay you, 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 was, is that because he's shy and he's sort of a bit yeah it doesn't surprise me that you didn't know that. that I never knew yeah. you had a brother That's yeah mad. Cause he's just like he's little Robbie he's like if I tried to get him on camera he'd just be like piss off like he wouldn't want to be on camera 
and he's he's just that you know like when I did Big Brother he was like he was at school I think he was like 16 or he just left school and like all his friends he must be the same age as me then because yeah. you were on that show in 2002 right mm-hmm. so that was my last year of secondary school then. yeah so is he 32 yeah yeah there yeah. you go that's how old he is. In fact, I think he might be 33. He might have just left. Or he might, yeah. So he he's he's super lovely, but super shy. But we were all very close growing up. I was probably closer to my brother growing up when we were kids. My twin sister was close to my big sister. And now like my big sister and my brother are really close. Me and my twin sister, we all kind of, we're just a, a close-knit family. And I love I love putting my parents on the radio. They've given me some too. of the best stuff. You used to put your gran on Kerrang as well, oh, didn't you? Oh, God bless Nanny Reenie. She's not here anymore. Is she not? Yeah, we used Sorry to have... To um, I put my grandma actually on Kerrang as well. That was Audrey. She passed away last year. Um, and do you know what? I lost three of, three of my grandparents in three years. And I've still got Wally. So we've got one left. But we're so lucky to have had grandparents to this age. You know, some of my friends' parents have passed away in the last few years. So yeah. I count myself very lucky to have had grandparents up until, you know, the last few years. But, you know, we did a feature called Dial Doreen on a radio show in Manchester <laughs> where I'd ring my nan Doreen and everybody would ask advice and she'd just give advice. And it was the best thing I've ever done. And I loved I loved doing um, stuff with my family on the radio. And I like putting them on Instagram as well because I think they're good fun. They are really good fun. I tell you what, there's a, there's a, like my twin sister, she should do her own TV show. Like I say, she doesn't eat anything. She doesn't drink anything. She just, if I said to her, we're going on holiday and we're going to Bali or we're going to Uganda, she wouldn't, she would be crying because her, like her, she just loves going on holidays to like England, like Bournemouth, like Devon. She's never even been to Scotland I think she's been abroad once in her life. And so those early family holidays for her were sort of the, the benchmark and she's just yes. continued that and is happy to. Yeah, she's very much like my mum because my mum doesn't like flying. So my mum and, Car- and my twin sister, Karen, they're both very homebody. Like, I can't imagine Karen ever moving out of Beckenham. Do you know what I mean? She's still there. Oh, she's still there. She's wow. still there and her children will live there. She, she, yeah, she, yeah. She's never going anywhere. Where, and when I went and moved away to Birmingham to work with you on Kerrang and then I went to Manchester, when I, when I moved back to London, they were all like, oh, you're going to come back to Beckenham? And I was like, no, I want to live near a tube. I want to be able to get to places <laughs> without waiting for one train an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Are you mad? And they were, sh- uh, my family were like, oh, and I was like, sorry, man. I just, but it's Did nice. Did you go to Ibiza recently with your dad? Yeah. Was your mum on that trip? Or was it just your dad and like a big group of girls? It, it, was... it looked like your dad just on a holiday <laughs> with like supermodels. Like a G. <laughs> was Desmond, that for his 60th or 70th? Hashtag Desmond does Ibiza. No, I'll tell you what that was for. My big sister Kelly's 40th. Right. And it was supposed to be our whole family because we haven't all been away as a family, all six of us, since um, 1996. And that was when we went abroad to Spain. And the only reason my mum wasn't there was because my dog, our family dog, Charlie, who you might know, the Westie, yeah. who we got in 1996 is still alive he's 20 this year and she didn't want to leave him and she couldn't leave him but we all thought he was going to be dead if I'm honest with you the year before we booked this holiday for Kelly's 40th and Charlie had just had his 18th birthday right we had a massive 18th birthday party for him played 50 cent it's your birthday he loved it then he turned 19 and we were like oh my goodness do you reckon he'll still be here in July when we go to Ibiza for Kelly's 40th and we were like nah because he's slowing down anyway he was still alive and my mum just said like I can't leave him so my mum unfortunately missed out 
on that holiday and she was so gutted. She was a bit annoyed with my dad as well that he went. She was like, really, your dad should be staying with me. And I was like, mum, <laughs> you could give Charlie to a friend, but Charlie is a bit like he's old, he's blind, he's, he's, he's deaf, he keeps falling, he's wheeze everywhere. So no one, you can't really give a dog like that to somebody. So yeah. she had to stay at home. So it was like Desmond does Ibiza and he was basically raving at Ocean Beach Club with a load of like under 30s, under, well, so under 30s, under 40s. But most people in that place are like 25. And everyone, <laughs> everyone loved him. We had a hashtag going, Desmond does Ibiza on social media. It's still, I mean, if you go on Instagram and you put Desmond does Ibiza, you can see all his videos. And stuff. He was getting really pissed off with me by the end of the holiday because I just had a camera in his face the whole time. And he brought with him his Hawaiian shirt. which A he, man after my own which heart. Which he had when we went to Spain in 1996. He still has that shirt and he wore it in Ibiza. Like Legend. a boss. Like a boss. So can I ask you, where does your, I, I describe you as an extrovert. I yeah. think you're very outgoing, very bubbly. When does that sort of cement itself? Very early on? Are you a very sociable, outgoing kid? I think I remember being quite young up until I went to secondary school. Uh, did I say young? Yeah. I'm such a tit. I think I remember shy. being quite shy um, when I was young. That's what I meant to say. I remember being very shy when I was young. But when I went to... when I, I only remember coming out of my shell, really, when I was in secondary school. And... As you hit teenage years yeah, and hormones so. exploding and I you're like, remember, it's on. Yeah, I think I just remember being a, a shy young kid. But as a teenager and hanging around with, maybe it was the influence of, of friends I made in secondary school that kind of brought me out of my shell. We were, I was quite naughty in the first two years of Langley Park Girls School. I think I gave my teacher a nervous breakdown, actually. Sorry, Miss Potter, if you're listening. But we had... We had fun times at school and I was quite naughty, but then I pulled my act together and decided to, you know, when I did my options and GCSEs, I knuckled down. And that's when I kind of uh, started doing drama as well at school. I did GCSE drama. We had a, a fabulous teacher, Bridge Doherty, who came in and changed the drama department, like flipped it on its head and introduced our school to productions and taking us to theatre, like Bridge took us, my drama teacher at GCSE, she took us to London on a weekly basis where we saw anything from fringe theatre pieces to going to... Um the West End? <laughs> the Royal National Theatre. Yeah, right. You know, we saw productions in the Olivier of Oedipus. Then we saw, then we'd go to Brixton and we'd have like this immersive theatre experience. We'd be walking around into different rooms. And she introduced me to a world of theatre and I thought, wow, I want to be an actor. I want to be on the stage. And so was that the first career yeah. path that mm -hmm. presented itself to yeah. you in a way that was overpowering and you could feel that? Draw? Yeah, I think so. I was like, I want to be an actor. I want to be, I don't want to, I want to be, I want to do stuff on stage. I don't want to be in uh, musicals. I want to be in plays. Um, just from seeing so many good productions in the West End mainly and, and, and Bridge just teaching us all about um, theatre practitioners like Brecht and everyone like that. We just had the most amazing GCSE experience and then I went on to do Theatre Studies A-Level which was 60% written and 40% uh, practical so it was learning a lot about that uh, about theatre and behind the scenes and stuff but then I left school A-Levels and I did audition for a few drama schools and they were like go and do a degree in drama and then come back and audition you're not ready yet and I didn't want to go to university so I took a year did out did you not? no how I come? Had, I don't know I, I think thought you would have been right up your street I, I think looking back now I think I would have loved it but my parents never went to university and they never pushed me to go to university and I don't blame them for that I think it's great that they just said to me do what you want to do was that their sort of approach to parenting? 
do what That's you want to do. If you don't enjoy it, my dad's a painter and decorator and loves what he does. And he said, I don't care what I earn as long as I'm enjoying going to work every day. And that's, if you're not enjoying a job you're doing, get out. Just do what you want to do. I just burped. Sorry about that. That was Matt, by it the way. Me. You're so disgusting. It's this hot lager. It's going I mean, right through stop me. Stop boozing, will you? <laughs> <laughs> so he always said to us, I'll never forget, like when we were young, if you do what makes you happy, it doesn't matter about money. It matters about what, what, you know how you feel when you're working. You've got to do it every single day. So if you're not happy, do something else. So That's really sound parenting advice. Mm. Good on him. What about your parents? Did they not, did they, were they the opposite then? Or they, they were, the same? They, so my mum, I wanted to do media at college and my mum was like, you've got to do A-levels. Media is kind of a joke. It's a waste of time because she was a teacher yeah. and my dad went to the army when he was 16 to get out of Manchester and then he used his money from four or five years in the army to then pay his own way through uni. So they were both very, you've got to go down the academic roads. And it's not that I didn't want to do that. It's just that I wanted to make film and I wanted to be in television and film. Yeah. And I thought media studies was the way to do that. And they said, no, you've got to do A-levels. So, and I got to do the A-levels that I wanted to do. I did history and English and psychology and, and media studies, ironically. But as, a, <laughs> but as an A-level, not a B-tech, yes. that was it. They didn't want me to do a B-tech because they looked down on it. Ah, right. Kind of like educational snobs yeah. in that way. And I kind of look back and think, it might have served my ultimate destination and where I'm at now had I gone down the BTEC road and gotten into media production earlier. Because I, you know, I got a job on Kerrang the year after I graduated university. So did you I do could uni? I did English literature at university, yeah. which I really enjoyed. And I think it helps me with this and it helps me to like read and analyze and critique and think. And it's yeah. definitely fed into my soul and my personality as much as my career. But there are the kind of moments where I look back and I think if only you'd push me in that way, maybe things would have been different. If you'd have done a BTEC in media, yeah. could you have gone to university off that? Yeah. You could have gone to university. And then you probably would have done media at university. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you wind up in radio and you're like, ah, I told you, but <laughs> I still love you, mum and dad. <laughs> Thanks for paying my fees. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually the government because I think I was the last year to get a grant for fees for students from low-income families. I mean, we were talking about, actually, my boyfriend and I, if we ever have children, and I was like, we would have to start saving now for their yeah. university fees. I think How you're looking at be 25 grand minimum right now to put a kid for uni for three years in terms of fees, living costs. You know, we went to Norway Who recently. Who has that money? We went to Norway recently and they were like, yeah, it's free to, free to go to university here. Norway's a great place. Australia was similar, very culturally different, but similar in the sense that the economy is so strong. Mm -hmm. Everything there is extremely expensive if you're mm -hmm. a tourist. Yeah. But if you work in a bar there, you're getting like £20 yeah. pounds an hour, like triple yeah. what you get over here. Yeah. They've certainly got it right on a lot of levels in those countries. Yeah. In Norway, they were saying in this tiny little village we went to called Selangen that it's the same there. The wages are high. So there's only like, there's no need really for, I mean, there's one postman in the village, but he'll get paid so much money because people need their post delivered. But it's, People it's take care of the jobs that really mm -hmm. matter in society over there, don't mm -hmm. they? And community is still, did you like it? They're, you were there for loved, a while, weren't I you? I loved Norway. And you went husky riding, right? Oh, yes. But that wasn't the best bit about Norway. Was it not? The husky sledding was amazing, but the best bit was me. Do they treat them well? Because <sighs> as a dog lover, you're in two minds about I'm that. I'm still battling that because we stayed on a husky farm and they had them, they had each husky chained to uh, one of the, to their kennels. So every husky, was about 25 huskies. They were all chained to their kennels, but the chains weren't that long, three meters. And I presumed that during the day they'd be let off those chains, but they weren't. And it broke my heart, but they were going out on like sleigh, 
uh, sledding journeys that were lasting like a week at a time. So imagine Maybe running for a week. Maybe they just want to chill when Yeah, home. you do. Yeah. But they were barking quite a lot when we came out and I was stroking them all and we, we went to the supermarket, we bought them treats and everything. We fed them treats. And I was like, they must be so cold. It's like minus 20 one night. And I was like, they must be so cold. But they're not. Their coats can withstand temperatures of up to 39, minus 39 degrees. So they're fine. Wow. Yeah. Minus 39. And, but in Finland, they've banned chaining huskies up. And so you think to yourself... If they've banned it in Finland, there's a reason for that. The next day after I was reading up on it and I got really sad, it really hit me. Like when I, I didn't expect to see all these huskies chained. And so we stayed on this husky farm thinking I'd be able to, you know, play with them and take them for walks and stuff like that. But they were always chained. And I kind of, I kept getting upset. And Martin, my boyfriend was like, you've got to stop crying. Like this is, they, they, this is all they know. They go out on lovely, like long trips and they're tired and they sleep. The next morning I asked if I could help out on the farm, helped feed them, helped clear all the poo up. And I said to him, why are they chained? Tell me why. They... And he said, it makes it so much easier at feeding times. If you have dogs off chains, then you put one big like trough of food out. Everyone's fighting for it. Not every dog is going to get the same. Some dogs, you know, the alpha dogs will go for it and they'll push other dogs away. So it's easier for feeding time. It's also easy, easier to give every dog the same amount of love and affection because you know every dog, you know where they are. And they do go out quite a lot and they do get their exercise. But it just, it broke my heart that they didn't even come off the chains every day. I thought they would be out every day, but they weren't. I guess the other angle as well is, are they meant to be pets? Or should animals like that just be roaming in the wild, fending for themselves? And They're working dogs. Out there and in it. Because mm. it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because mm. you, you kind of look at horses in that same way. And if you're out on, say, like the plains of Montana, then you might see a horse in still a, a fenced-off field and think yeah. he should be running wild. But yeah. then you're like, it's but really the, tricky. It's, yeah, it's, it's tricky, not black isn't and it? white, is it? Because when they're running wild, anything can... And you, you, there's can protection. they survive out yeah, there Yeah, can they survive, own? yeah. And, and the dogs, at least you know they're being cared for. They get their, you, they get their meals, they get... They get to go on trips. They get love. They, they have visitors all the time. In the summer, they do come off and stuff like that. But every husky farm's different. The one I went to in Tromso... Where's that? It was... That's also north Norway. Of, north of Sela. So we stayed in... That place was called Bones. Well, it's spelt Bones. But they when we said we stayed there, some Norwegian was like, oh, Bunas. And I was like, oh, right. Okay, we've been saying it wrong. And so we went to Selangen, Bunas, or have you say it. And then Tromso, which is really further north. Second biggest city in Norway, other, other, uh, apart from Oslo. But And that was more of a built-up city in, in Bones or Bones. I'm just going to say Bones. Say I, Bones. It was, it was just remote. We were on this husky farm and there was no one else around. It was just two huts and and a load of huskies and it was magical because we went outside and the stars were the brightest you've ever seen and the sky was as clear as anything and you had the huskies all like saying goodnight to the guy as he like do they howl at off. the moon they howl at the moon oh man yeah but i tell you what was more special it was just as special actually the experience of meeting wolves and people were like we well, met wolves actual wolves and and we did so there's a place called polar park right near bones and every Friday at 2 p.m., every Friday at noon, actually, they allow 10 people into a wolf enclosure. And inside this wolf enclosure are five or six wolves who have been hand-reared at Polar Park since birth. And they are domesticated. I mean, they still have that wolf instinct. Apparently, they kind of, they start sniffing around you if you've got a broken leg. They're, you know, if you... Looking for weaknesses. Looking wow. for weaknesses. There's that instinct, that prey yeah, yeah. instinct. But... 
we decided to do this wolf visit and you, you only get 10 people doing it on a Friday. So I made sure I booked this so far in advance because I was like, you can't go to Polar Park and just take a photo of these wolves outside the wolf enclosure. You are, So, you you know, and there's so much prep that goes into your visit. Every bit of jewellery has to be taken off. You're not allowed to wear a hat. You can't wear a hair bubble. You ha- you can't wear gloves or a scarf. Bearing in mind it's minus 12. And Why the hat and the scarf so and the anything that they could grab, right, that okay, they yeah. could pull, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, to, to keep them calm and not initiate play. Do you know what I mean? Because if they see stuff that they think they can pull Anything and you try to pull back, yeah. you might end up in a bit of a tussle with a, a dog, wolf. With a wolf. I was going to say dog, <laughs> but it's a wolf. And these wolves are huge. And they came over and we had to walk in and we sat in a big circle on one knee each and we just had to sit with our hands by our side and we weren't allowed to move and we had to let them sniff us out. So they were coming up to us, sniffing our faces, licking our ears. Do they all move in as a pack? Yeah. Yeah. The alphas moved in first. Apparently one was one was back. And I was like, why isn't she coming over? They were like, they're not allowing her to come over yet. She thought it was, was pretty interesting. Even the wolves are sexist. <laughs> yeah. She was at the bottom of the pack. The sexist bunch. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, um, we were allowed to stroke them as long as it was in a calm you know, uh, manner. You weren't allowed to start doing what I do to Baxter, like, <laughs> with like tickling behind the ears. Everything had to be really like slow, slow movements. If you were getting up because you felt uncomfortable with the wolf being around you, you had to get up slowly and just stand with your arms by your side. Um, and, you know, it was just, it was an hour in this wolf enclosure, which I'll never forget because they were just like strolling around. And then at one point the wolf handlers just started doing this wolf cry and they were like only we're allowed to do it and so the wolf handlers just started going oh and they started doing this wolf howl and i was like i want to do it but we weren't allowed anyway after about a minute all the wolves were howling and it was just the most amazing experience and we were allowed to kind of take photos and film it and um just that whole experience of being around wildlife especially kind of animals that were born to be wild it's quite one of my favorite songs um it was it was magnificent it was just the experience of a lifetime and there was one point where i thought this woman was going to get eaten by a wolf and she it jumped up at her and it was smelling her and it was really it was so um it wasn't aggressive but it was just a little it was behaving a little bit intense and more intense than she would like and she, so she tried to stand up to get the wolf off and it jumped on her shoulders like his, his, its paws were on her shoulders and i was thinking all right she's about to get her face bitten off by a wolf and the handler grabbed the wolf and to, to distract it the handler opened opened her mouth and the wolf started licking inside the handler's mouth and apparently that's what they like doing so she even said to us if anybody wants to do that by the way you can sit there with your mouth open and they'll lick inside your mouth did you do that a wolf snog no 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 um <laughs> do you know what they weren't interested in me i was really annoyed they kept going to this blooming french couple next to us and they kept licking her and i was like come and lick me i want to i would have opened my mouth though. you would have done it yeah but they were like nah <laughs> they hated my obviously wasn't very nice smelling but they um they had nice breath as well because all they live on is kind of like raw meats and stuff okay let's go to you've finished a levels and what comes next what happens next you've done your drama oh i did what your mum didn't want me to do i did media studies a level right i did sociology yep and I did theatre studies, three oh, yeah. probably, you know, when you say like, what are the least um, <laughs> academic A-levels you could do? Those three. <laughs> and I didn't really concentrate either. I wasn't really, I were concentrated you ac- for my Were Jesus. you an academic kid? Because you've always struck me as very smart. No, I don't think so. But not th- book smart. No. Does that make sense? Like yeah. you never seem geeky, but you've always seemed very intelligent. I think I'm more streetwise. I don't think I'm intelligent. I didn't do bad at school, but I didn't do great. This just sums it up. My GCSE results ranged from A star to E. 
Do you know a what I mean? A star to E. Well, I got, a star, e I got an A star in drama, mm -hmm. obviously. <laughs> you know me. No one's getting less than a B for drama, really, let's be honest. <laughs> Come on, my sister got a C in drama. Um, I got an A star in drama and an A in business communications and a B in English literature and a B in German. And I got a C in English language and a C in geography, I think. And a D, no, a D in geography and an E in science. E in science. Seeing art as well. The science element of studying for me has never enticed me at all. Yeah. I like, uh, you know, what we just spoke about, kind of nature and biology and adventure and things yeah. like that. But when it comes to molecules and... <laughs> You lost me. I'm out. The periodic table yeah, can get right? fucked. Yeah. I mean, I just have no interest in that. <laughs> but I wouldn't, it's not to say, like, I I do regret, this is my one regret Go on. in life. Not I'm going to call you up on that after. Can you honestly say that? Honestly, like, I can hand on heart, honestly say that. Wow. I can, and I, I, you're going to totally agree with me because I chose a GCSE, I chose to do geography over history. And like I said to you, my first few years at school, at secondary school, I messed around. I didn't listen. I don't remember anything from doing history in year seven, eight, or really nine. And then, it, and then at GCSE, I opted to do a subject which would never benefit me later in life. But I think everybody needs to know their history. And it is my one regret because there's still stuff I ask my boyfriend about today. And I think, how can I not know about that? Like we were even like, and I feel embarrassed to not know about the history of the world. And I, I almost feel like I, I'd love to one day go and do a history GCSE and a history, like actually learn it because to think that I'm 37 and I still don't know. When the Battle of Normandy was. What did I ask him about? I mean, we were talking, we, we watched World War II in colour and I was like, I didn't know any of this happened. You know, I didn't know how much Mussolini was involved and how... Russia, how much Russia, how many millions of people were killed in Russia in World War Two? And then there's World War One in colour, which I want to go back and watch. Fascinating documentary on Netflix. Have you seen it? You don't need to see it. You've done your history. You know. <laughs> I had a good Netflix story. Do you think this is bad? After me and my girlfriend broke up, I was using her Netflix account for about six months. <laughs> six months. And then eventually I must, she must have twigged and <laughs> she logged me out. I but I, I got a good six months out of it. I can't believe you used your girlfriend's Netflix. Ex-girlfriends being oh, the key yeah, detail. Soz. She's an ex. <laughs> That's but why the using of the Netflix is so... People do that, though. You can have, like, your mate's password and just log in, can't you? But then you can't have more than two people watching it. That's what they do. Because Eva, my boyfriend's sister, she had a Netflix account and we used to log into her account. Oh, God. <laughs> it's all coming out. And then we got Netflix <laughs> ourselves. So, yeah. yeah. You can have my our Netflix password if you want. I need to get on there because I want to see there's the new Dre documentary as well. Oh, I'd meant to be love really good. to see that. Big fan of Dre. But you, but as somebody who hasn't done history, World War II in colour was is just eye-opening, fascinating watch. I loved it. In fact, I've still got an episode to watch. But yeah, that's my one regret in life, not doing history. But I wasn't, I wasn't very academic, as in like I didn't enjoy doing German GCSE. And my German teacher, Frau Baudry, uh, who we used to wind up by going... And she... And she'd turn around and she'd think we were spraying deodorant because we'd be going, <laughs> and that's me making a noise with my mouth. Yeah, that's not actually that's deodorant not actually sprays, deodorant. people. Can and you she'd believe it? And turn around and go, who's spraying deodorant? And we'd all giggle. We'd go, Tss. but we used to wind up, I used to hate it. And she'd be like, you're very good at German. And I'd be like, I hate it though. I don't, I wish I did French. Unfortunately, when you're in, when you're you in our school, choose, you? you don't get to choose, do you? You don't get to choose. No, it's the same at mine. Half the school you're in did one French. Half. Yeah. yeah. I was fuming. I would love to have learned French. So I was a bit, you know, like I had, 
I was stubborn and I was like, I don't like German. I don't want to learn German. I don't want to learn that language. And it's a harsh me, language, it isn't it? It sounds, sounds harsh. Sexy, no, it doesn't. It's not. It can't compete with I'm French. Five dry. Yeah. <laughs> Uno, dos, tres. Spanish is sexy. I don't even know what French is. For one, two, three. Un, deux, trois. Un, deux, trois. Un, deux, trois. You see how sexy that sounds. Do it again. Un, deux, trois. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember my German teacher saying, you're really good at German. You should do it at A-level. And my stubbornness was like, no, I don't like the language. I don't like the sound of it. So I'm not going to do it. And I always think, what if I'd have done German at A-level? And I got a B in German and I didn't really study for it. But I didn't really study for science and I got an E. <laughs> so it just goes to show that I'm not, I don't get like the tricky stuff, but like remembering things like the language, like remembering lines, like drama. Do you know what I mean? Those are the things I was good at. at and school. remembering all your teachers' names from school, it seems. Yeah, actually. Every single one you've dropped on name terms. Mrs. B- Miss Burns. We round <laughs> her up as well. Before she came in, our class was always after lunch. And before we weren't allowed in the classroom before her. So before she came to the classroom, we'd all, uh, during our lunch break, go and put all the chairs on top of the tables. And then we'd wait outside. And then she'd open the door of the classroom. <laughs> Kids are cruel, aren't they? And Creative, like, but cruel. Right. All the chairs down off the tables. And then we'd all sit down and she'd like, stand up if you put a chair on the table. And we'd all stand up. And she'd be like, right, sit down again. Let's get on with class. <laughs> you can't win. Soz, Miss Burns. It's the but mob anyway, rules. Yeah, not very academic. Didn't go to uni. So worked. what did you do after college? And did you sort of have anything in, in mind? And obviously that wasn't your career goal, was it? No, I worked in Waitrose on the checkout after I did my A-levels while I, while I looked for a full-time job. And I thought, I'll have a year out. Maybe I'll go to university in a year. I'll have a year out. I'll earn some money. So I applied for a job um, in the West End. And it was Charterhouse Financial Advisors. And I was office secretary. And I was on £10,000 per annum. And it was my first full-time job. And I get the train to work every day. And I loved it. And then and then I moved quickly onto there, um, from there, back to, back to Bromley. Because I wanted to work in Bromley because I loved being in the West End but I was very young and I didn't know anyone anyone all my friends were at uni didn't know anyone who worked there it was full of my office was full of 40 year old men and I was like I just feel like I want a job back in Beckenham so I got a job in Bromley at DP Connect a recruitment agency IT recruiters they were and I was secretary then I got promoted to senior secretary and then one of the IT consultants said to me there's a job going in the city and you don't have to have any IT experience they'll train you as in-house at UBS Warburg uh, an investment bank in Liverpool Street and do you want to go and do it it's great it's a contract job but it's like really good money so I went and did that and then they put me onto actual IT help desk, which was a massive mistake because I didn't know anything. <laughs> and I used to get phone calls and I'd be like, um, yeah, I'll just pass you through to second team help desk. Didn't have a clue. And then my boyfriend at the time said to me, I'm moving to Tokyo. Do you want to come with me? And I said, yes. So I moved to Tokyo for a year. A year? It was I've never to- been there. It's in my top three places I want to visit. It just looks like you would an love alien it. world. It is an alien world. Way. Do you know, it's funny that you say it looks like an alien world. It smells like an alien world. Japan is the only place I've ever been to, swear down, that smells like a different planet. When you get off the plane, you breathe the air. You know when you go to Thailand and then you go to like, I don't know, Peru or where you go, the other sides of the world, they can still smell the same. Like Sydney might still, you get off and it's hot and sunny in Sydney. Oh, it smells like when we went to Spain last year. But Japan... I got off the plane and I was like, I don't feel like I'm on planet Earth. I swear down, I feel like I'm on Mars. The atmosphere feels the, different the, and everything just, around yeah. you. Yeah, but it's strange. Is it, it the pollution? What is it? I don't know. I cannot put my finger on it, but it's the strangest smell. And I went back. 
after like 10 years after that when I moved there in the year 2000 or 2001 when it was and I went back 10 years ago, it was still the same same smell. sensation it's madness you'd love it where were you, you living just right in the heart of it like smack Shibu- bang near the Shibuya crossing not far from there in between there and Roppongi the crazy the crazy part of Tokyo couple of earthquakes when I was there which scared the shit out of me but they weren't that bad and I was walking across one of the busiest roads in Shibuya on the day of the first earthquake and the ground just rumbled and I hit the deck like a sack of shit <laughs> and everyone else was and just everyone cruising. was just cruising amazing people were just like what are what are you doing tourists? for work out there so my boyfriend at the time was working for um a bank uh no he worked for uh Cantor Fitzgerald they're brokers money brokers and I was gonna teach English and I had the first month there I we were initially going over for longer than a year we'd like ship we're shipping all our furniture you'd move there essentially yeah we, we, we were there we were like gonna set up home and everything and I had a month off just kind of doing the touristy stuff and then I decided to, to teach English to children and I was just going through the um the TEFL courses that yes, you do, yeah. The TEFL course. See, I would never have remembered that. The TEFL course I had to take. It's only because I did one last year. Did you? It's fresh in my mind. What for? What are you going to do? I was going to move away and teach English myself because I thought I've had enough of this music no, business bullshit. Never stop doing this podcast, Matt Stocks. Life is in the stocks. It is. That's where it is, right? That's where it happens. That's where it is. Do you know why? It's because Kerrang happened, crushed me. Team Rock Radio happened, didn't crush me, but it was annoying. And then team rock the written side of it and the brooklyn bowl where i was djing happened and so within four years i'd kind of like had the carpet pulled from underneath me three times completely and i was just like i don't know whether i've got the energy to keep getting up and coming back and being inspired and driven and so i thought maybe it's time for a new career opportunity and at that kind of moment i thought well this is a chance to go and live and work anywhere what's the quickest and easiest Mm -hmm. way i can do that tefl so what stopped you then um the podcast started getting there and i got the hunger back i guess i was like here we go round four (laughs) yeah i'm glad you didn't go i'm (laughs) glad you didn't go but it's always something like that sounds like a great life actually going to live wherever you want in the world to teach children english I, i still love the idea of doing that there's no western petty stress drama negativity toxicity mm-hmm. in that is mm-hmm. there it's just a positive pure yeah. experience i know i know a couple of people who have done it and they've had nothing but positive things to say about the experience so it's always something to look out for the future hey hey you just never know although my future plan involves dogs um does it a lot of people fundraising and a big plot of land in kent or essex but that's a story for another day um yeah so tokyo this is an interesting story i was in tokyo for the well imminent future but indefinite future as well we we would be planned to live there and then one evening i had my boyfriend's friends over from work and obviously Tokyo, english english Japanese. All, all english all english uh, there's only two of them so three of us so we're all english we're sat around having a spaghetti bolognese which i look back now on and I, I i feel sorry for the people who ate it because back then i didn't have a fucking clue how to cook so it would have been really bland but they were really polite and obviously um Japan is ahead of New York and London and all of their phones started to ring at the same time and we were like whoa this is weird and they answered them all and their faces dropped and they were told we were told to put on CNN and 9-11 had just happened and their office was in the top of the first building that got hit 
above where the plane hit. So everyone, I mean, that was just such a surreal moment because I was so young and I, I look back now and I just think the whole of that company, that company lost more people than any other business in that. In the, really? Any, yeah, the company lost nearly every employee that went to work that day, I think passed away. Um, and subsequently they had to close down or move people around across APAC and uh, Europe. So we got moved back because of 9-11. And I was just such a horrible evening. I remember it was evening where we were, it was daytime in London. People were phoning and saying, oh my God. And I always just think to myself, if 9-11 hadn't happened, I, what would I be doing now? But I mean, it's an awful thing to have happened. But everyone's lives who worked in that business as well kind of got uprooted. So people who just moved there got moved back to London. Other people went to the States to help set up what would be the next phase of that business. So it was just a really weird time. And we came home. He was sent back to London and was like, how deeply and profoundly was your guy at the time affected by that? Did he lose a lot of friends? He lost um, people he spoke to in that office. You know, he might not have ever met them, but there were, you know, brokers and traders speak to each other on a daily basis. They're always communicating. Yeah. It was, I, I do remember going back and having, there was a, a huge memorial at St. Paul's Cathedral um, and for everybody. And there was, we went and there were just so many family members all in, you know, there in St. Paul's Cathedral and there were people there who had lost um, family members, relatives, whoever, husbands and wives who were there that day. It was horrific that, that, that period of time because he, it, it, it hit him hard, but he was very young. So, you know, when you're young, you kind of, you don't, I think when you, the older you can you brush get, yourself more, off yeah. easier. There's truth in that. Mm. So I think he did, but the interesting thing, one of the most devastating things were when he said to me, I'm going to go to Tokyo, it was either New York or Tokyo. And I said, obviously New York would be a dream because I think I'd be able to find work easier. I've just, you know, it's, it's, it's not as far people can come and visit. Um, and one of his colleagues was, was sent to, to New York, same age. He was 21 at the time and he, he died. And so you always think to yourself, you can count your lucky stars that you're still here today. And you weren't sent sent to New York. It was an awful time. But have you ever we, had any other? Because obviously that event changed the whole world forever, and we're still in the. You know, there'd be no Donald Trump today if that had never happened. That's right. probably a fact. Do you ever think if I hadn't have done Big Brother, like I, what the hell would have yeah. happened? Because that must I, have I been a game changing. I guess that is the only thing. The Big Brother thing. I'm holding my throat because I've got a wisdom tooth coming through. Have you? God, they're the, and it's the most painful things, aren't they? Now, so I feel like I'm talking funny. Oh, you sound horrible. absolutely fine. <laughs> I had um, one out about a year ago, and I thought I'm obviously too old to be getting these through, but clearly not. It's were you put to process. sleep for it? Yeah, no, no, just anaesthetized. Someone said, "Don't be anaesthetized and be put to sleep because it's horrific." How but bad yeah, on is. a scale of one to ten, pain-wise? We're we talking. It's the most painful thing, and bearing in mind I've broken my spine. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It's the, in fact, it's the second most painful thing I've ever experienced. The back hurt more than the tooth. But the tooth is bad. They get pliers and just literally yank it, it out and yank it out old school. There's no precision oh, <laughs> approach. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> just literally numb it, grab it, yank and it. And how much pain, how many days are you in pain for afterwards? 
you're, you're, in, pain for, you're in pain for about two. Your mouth's swollen up. You've just got to be on really strong painkillers and you're just like, oh, talking like you've sort of... So no radio for a couple of days. Well, at this point, I wasn't doing the podcast or on the radio. I was doing writing at this point and DJing. <laughs> oh, so I was okay. Ouch. Um, that sounds painful. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. Big Brother, had I not have done that, there is n- I think my life would have been very different now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What are you doing in the moments leading up to it? I'd come back from Tokyo. So it's right after that. Yeah, I'd come back from Tokyo and I was like, okay, what am well. I going to do? Um, what am I going to do? Right, I'm back. I hadn't planned for this, but this is my reality. I'm back in London. Um, I then broke up with my boyfriend about six months after we came back because we moved in together and I felt like my life was moving way too, way too fast. I, I felt like I was living in living a 35-year-old's life. I was just kind of, we were living in a flat in Canary Wharf. He would come home, I would cook for him, I would do our laundry. I'm like, I'm 21, right. man. So you're this basically is, a housewife yeah, at 21, yeah. I was, I was working as well. Which your sister at that point actually was. <clears throat> But you were yeah, she not was, ready. Yeah. In fact, I don't think she'd had children by then, but she was definitely married. Um, no, she wasn't. She was engaged because her wedding was after Big Brother. But she is all she ever wanted, right? She was like working. Where was she working? But I can't remember. But yeah, I came back. I got my job back at UBS Warburg. My boss, Jeff Hickey, was like, right, just come back and work for us. And I was thinking, oh, man. I didn't plan for this. I thought I was going to do something super exciting over in Tokyo. And at the time, Big Brother had kicked off. It was season one with Nasty Nick and Craig. That had happened. And when I come back, season two was just happening. It was 2001. Or it just... Katie! No, that was Matt. How dare you? That was Matt. I swear down. You're not getting another beer. Do you want another beer? I'd love one. I'm almost at the end. Thank you very much. You are sick, by the way, and my burps do not sound like that. (laughs) My burps sound like my burps sound a lot more delicate. They sound like fluffy clouds passing. I can't actually hear your burps. They're not. not? They're not being picked up. That's because I'm doing the you know the indigestiony ones. That's what I'm looking for. Thanks, Kate. Hold your beer. 
So season two is on air, is it? Or season two is... just finished. And I remember <clears throat> we came back. Obviously, 9-11 happened and we came back and it was like, and Big Brother had just finished. And my twin sister, I remember at the time, was fixed on Big Brother. That wasn't a Trump, by the way. That was my foot. <laughs> um, she was fixated on the second series of Big Brother. She was hooked. We would go out on a Friday night, me and the girls, and she would be like, no, I'm watching Big Brother. I'm not like, I'm not As coming out. As opposed to going out. Yeah. That's how and we were like, You're an idiot. deep she was. She was in deep balls deep and so then the uh, third series was uh, people were able to apply to appear on series three of big brother and karen my twin sister was obsessed with it and she was like can you do me a favor this was back when you filled out an application form for big brother and you didn't have to do some wanky audition do they have to do auditions now yeah do well i don't know if they yeah like this is my talent or, to prove how kooky or, you are yeah, basically like, and, Karen basically said, print out the application form for me. I was at work at the time. I printed it out. I phoned her up on my lunch break. I was like, this application form is a joke. It's insanely psychological. Like the questions they're asking. What kind of questions were on there? Can we divulge any of that sort of stuff? Along the lines of like, you know, like when you, what's the print you, when you look at it and you say what you see and you see a butterfly, you know, what are they called? What do you see here? Like, yeah, the cards that they show to disturbed kids, basically. Yes, yes. It's kind of like that. Draw a picture of your family. Draw a picture of your house that you grew up in. Name, draw a picture of you with your favourite things. It, just, it was all, there was lots like of... Like kindergarten exercises. <laughs> not psychological <laughs> at all, just... No, yeah, like kindergarten exercises. But like the drawings they would ask you to do, I felt like there was definitely something behind that. Like what... Like, if you draw a writing. building on fire and someone jumping out, they're going to get exactly. him in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just so... So did so, your sister also apply? No. She, I just said to her, this application form is a joke. They ask so many questions, like top... I mean, some of them were just like, you know, top five bands. So you hijacked her chance is what you're saying. I said to her, look, do you want to do it? And she was like, no, it's too, it's too long. And she was like, you should do it. And I was like, yeah, but I, didn't, I haven't watched it. And she was like, basically live in a house for nine weeks, potentially win 70 grand. So I filled it out and I was like, should I do it? And then my sister was like, yeah, do it. It'd be funny. So I did. I sent it off um, and then got a call saying, we'd like you to meet the exec producers. You also had to send a three minute video of yourself. How which did was you like film that video. pre-smartphone I, age? Yeah, pre-smartphone age. So you had to go get the old yeah. 80s VHS camcorder out <laughs> it was by with then, the date and time By then the you bottom. had the ones you held in your hand, you know, with a little... The mini like, DV star. Mi- yeah, 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 the yeah. little mini cassette tapes. Uh-huh. But I already had loads of footage on tapes. I was like, I'm not going to do a new video. What am I going to do? Like me running down naked. Oh, it could be anything. Like, could be anything. Right. You could sing a song. Just you could do a dance. As long as three minutes long. Yeah. You could, you could literally talk an, uh, an inner monologue. You could literally do anything you wanted. You could, I don't know, just bounce up down on the spot. I, I cut together. <laughs> That's what loads you did. <laughs> I bounce up and down on the spot. <laughs> I got together loads of little footage, previous bits of footage of me and edited it all together. Oh, so you killed it with the edit job. Should I tell you who did it for me? The guy at the um, place I worked at, UBS Warburg. This guy went to me. I told him I was applying. He was like, do you know what I do in my spare time? I edit videos. I'm a video editor. Like I do wedding videos. Let me, give me all your stuff and I'll edit it for you. And I remember going around his house one Sunday and I was like, dude, have you done it for me yet? I was like, tomorrow's the deadline. I've got to send the video off tomorrow. I'm not going to. And he, he played, he played me the video and I was like, this looks so professional. 
Like um, a showreel. It was like a showreel. At the beginning bit, I just, the only bit I filmed, I actually filmed was me going, hi, I'm Kate Lawler. And in the next couple of minutes, you're going to find out a bit about me. And then I filmed, I did film a few bits actually. I filmed me doing some keepy uppies in the garden because I was quite handy with a football back then. And me cuddling my dog, Charlie, 20 year old Charlie. So um, those are the bits. But then everything else was prior to like me even thinking about applying for big brother so yeah and then i sent it off and they thought it was because it was so professional it looked so professional they thought i was a journalist so they got me in to suss me out to see if i was a journalist and i oh we're trying to infiltrate it right okay nice she's a journalist this is too professional for some random some civilian who's just working in a bank and so they 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 were trying to suss me out in the um, audition and then they were like did you get that sense straight away or did they tell you that this afterwards after after you got brother after after the the whole show yeah after the show right wow they said later on i I remember meeting phil edgar jones um who's a he's such a nice guy i remember meeting him who is he sorry for my he was the exec producer and he's now the head of entertainment at sky wow so he's still in the tv world and just just an all-round legend and he just said to me we we thought you you were a journalist because it was just so slick and i was like i had nothing to do with it mate it was my mate at work but yeah they interviewed me and then they said how many interviews do you have to have loads loads one so application form and video then an interview with the three execs then he said to me go and we need now you to see brett our psychologist so he can analyze you and whether you are mentally stable to spend nine weeks in a house with no contact from the outside world turns out i was brett was lovely he said to me there's one thing i'm not really getting with you kate and that's why you want to do big brother because most people who do this show they're dying for it they either haven't yeah they either haven't got they're missing something in their life because he was like you seem just a bit too normal. And I was like, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. Like, if I'm normal, that's fine. Yeah. But he's, but he's like, you know, you've got a family. You've, you, your family are all still here. You're close with them. You've got a good job. At the time, I was earning good money because it was that contract job that my mate got me. What's go, like, what are you missing? Like, why do you need to do it? And I was like, Brett, I'll tell you why. 70 grand is going to get me a deposit for a flat. Right now, I'm single. And if I don't have a partner, if you don't have a partner in your 20s, you can't, it's difficult to get on the property ladder. And he was like, so do you realize that you might become famous from Big Brother? And I was like, yeah, I'll be all right from that. I'll just, I'll deal with it, whatever happens. And he was like, do you realize you could be the most hated person in Britain? How would you deal with the hatred? And I was like, oh, crikey, I don't know. And it did make you think, because he was like... I'm was still... that the first time you looked at it in that way? Yeah. He told me he was still counselling people from the previous series because they'd had so much hatred from the British public just for being in this house and playing a game and maybe, you know, writing a few names on pieces of paper like Nasty Nick did. Because the stakes were high. I mean, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I never saw the show. I never saw you on yeah. it. And all I know of you is my friend Katie, who I <laughs> yeah. spent years following on from on Kerrang Radio. Yeah. So, and obviously I've never spoke to you about any of this. Did you get kind of damaged by the process in any way? No. No. Not at all. For me, it was seeing Brett... And having a very deep conversation, an informative conversation, and, and an informative conversation about what could happen and what will definitely happen. That prepped after. you. It prepped me, but he made me go and watch the first two series. He said, "You need to, if you haven't watched them, you need to know what you're getting yourself into." So I watched the first two series, but it's obviously only an hour highlights video, a VHS. That's how long ago we're talking. And then I had <laughs> another meeting with him, and I was like, "Yeah, still, I'm still up for it." 
it looks fun it looks great in fact it's made me want to do it even more like it looks like such a dos for nine weeks i'll get to meet new people and potentially win 70 grand and i can pay for my sister's wedding i can pay my parents mortgage off which wasn't a lot at the time but i i can just do i can it can give me choices in life right now is that I what just, you did with your money as yeah, well yeah i did i did i bought a, 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 every penny into my flat and I paid my parents' mortgage off, paid for my sister's wedding, gave my fa- sisters, just gave my, treated my family, treated myself. And then the, the rest is history. I kind of just got, after Big Brother, it's, it's a well, it's a well in 12 months where you are just, you are the most famous person that one night you win. And everyone knows who you are. You're on the front page of newspapers. And then. Is that what it was literally like? Yeah, it was crazy. And, and I, it was, it was crazy bonkers for about, six months and then it died down with people was, like following you around with cameras and doing yeah, all of that yeah and it was weird because when you're in big brother you're doing the process you're not on tv this you don't feel like you're on tv you're just living in you're a hanging house, out in a house yeah doing the doing the tasks and falling out with people did you enjoy the actual house Loved time it. and it Loved was it. just enjoyable and great experience full of ups and downs crying one minute laughing the next shouting at jay goody the next she was on Snogging. the show the year you were she on it was, on was she year I was wow on, yeah what was she like in the house uh wow um we didn't get on did you not Not at all no but she did there were times we there were good times with us we were we had a really tempestuous relationship yeah, yeah. jade and i and we weren't friends when we left. It was it was a lot. It, we didn't like each other, but we tolerated each other. And there were times where we had a laugh, but you, there was always that underlying, I, I don't like you, you don't like me. Two big personalities. Yeah. And I I just think, I still think what happened to her is incredibly sad, man. Yeah. She, like, to, to think that she's, no, to, even now, to think she's no longer here. She was so young. She was so, so young. And yeah, she, but in the house, she was a joy. She made that series. No one will ever forget her. Uh, there was also Alison Hammond in the series who she's on TV now. She's done very well. It was a vintage year, I think, for Big Brother. And I really enjoyed the experience. I think it had to have ups and downs, highs and lows. Do you know what I mean? Good days, bad days for it to be the memorable experience that it was. So I'm really glad I did that. But it is, well, it's, I struggled with the, with how much attention I got when I came out of the house, but luckily it doesn't last forever. It doesn't kind of, you can choose to kind of live your life in the public eye like Jade did. Uh, She wanted, you know, she was happy to have a paparazzi guy follow her to Asda and take photos of her when she was coming out with the bins. Do you know what I mean? But I can't. I mean, the outpouring as well of love and attention that was sort of focused on her death was like, borderline michael jackson princess, princess diana. diana like it wasn't far off that was it yeah. considering this is just like yeah a normal person that's just been on a show and has and i don't played think that we'll game ev- of- yeah i don't think we'll ever get that kind of not not that i hope anyone from reality tv dies but i don't think you'd ever have that much endearment yeah endearment because everyone's just a youtube star now yeah. aren't they it's because, very easy to be that yeah. now it was yeah. And and also there's just reality TV show after reality TV show. Yeah. Um, and it's a quick turnaround. But back then, Big Brother was the first of many shows. And that year was peak Big Brother. It had more viewers, more people voting, more magazine coverage, more, more newspaper coverage than ever. Was that the mix ever. of personalities in the house? Is that what it was? I think it was just... Well, that experiment that, at that, its that, golden peak. Yeah. 
because it was very much a social experiment in its early days and year one it's a brand new tv show what is this who who like who are these people and why why are they doing what they're doing by the second year it was getting more viewers and it was getting people talking in their office on the train to work. People would be chatting about, have you seen this Big Brother? It had more coverage in the press, so more people wanted to watch it. There was just a huge PR around it. And by the end of season two, the whole of the UK, well, not the whole like of X the Factor UK. Like X-Factor star was standing was, yeah. in line trying yeah. to get on it. Yeah, and and waiting for the next series. So by season three, it was like the the anticipation for it. It had moved studios. It was the first year at Elstree. It had gone from like a smaller studio in East London to Elstree Studios. And the house was huge. They'd spent more money than ever before. So yeah, it was like, it was, it was a massive show. And I think that's why Jade had such a big outpouring of love when she died because she, after that became this uh, well, overnight celebrity and lived her life in the public eye and didn't want to ever stop doing that and did TV show after TV show. Um, and so that's why, you know, she was so current still at the time of her death. People just still felt like they knew her because the kind of stuff she did was very much like, you know, she would want... She had a, a little a paparazzi guy following her, doing everything like the, the daily shop, the big shop, they're taking the bins out. And people were just like living their lives along with Jay Goody. She was doing everything that you were doing. Do you know what I mean? I so, guess pre-social media as well, <laughs> that was a new concept and phenomenon, yeah. wasn't it? To that level. Yeah. You forget that back then there was there was no social media. We just had mobile phones that could receive text messages and that's it. No internet. No, not even WAP was there. So people had to buy a newspaper or a magazine to get their daily fix of celebrity gossip. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was all about Jade and every, every, everything you read. Um, all you had was TV shows and magazines and newspapers. That was it, really. And obviously the radio. But yeah, it's it's crazy to think how big that year was and how how well everyone did even from like Alison Hammond being evicted week two being on the front of OK magazine straight away like you know what Big Brother winner in the last five years has even been on the cover of OK magazine and they when they've won do you know what I mean it's, it's crazy how it's it's it was so big but it could only ever be big for a Before few years it becomes a parody yeah. of itself everything like that has a certain window of just perfection right where all the ingredients and elements are just right and just in place before but not with it becomes every reality TV show. Like no, you don't was, at, was that the first one though? So did that sort well, of look, almost you look at, you look set at, um, the... Strictly and I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of It. And they're still going after 15 seasons or maybe even more. But yet X Factor and Big Brother, they, they had their time, do you know what I mean? And it's... Big Brother, I think when you're doing something like that, that kind of show, because it is a social experiment, it's all about seeing how humans re behave and react to one another put in this situation. There was only ever going to be one Jay Goody. There was only ever going to be one Nasty Nick. Do you know what I mean? Like people would try and emulate the way they were in the house and you're like, don't try and be like that. You're not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's it's why it didn't work. It's also weird that it's someone who's so normal won, but is that why you think you did win? I mean, it must be weird to stipulate on that to begin with. But for me, it even though I never watched you on that show, people would always be like, you know, she won this show. And you're always so likable on it. Well, even now, today, like on the Instagram post that you do, there's just something so you and honest and natural and likable about what you do and who you are. I felt like I won cause, um, because it was a girl's year to win. Right. It was a girl's year to win. Um, it was Craig won the first year, bright a straight man, 
a gay man one year too and I was like now is my time when my sister said I'm not doing it I was like well now if if if, if a straight guy's one and a gay guy's one now is my time I mean you had everybody when you had a trans transgender win on, on the fifth year um and my so it's almost in a cynical way like those boxes were just yeah, being ticked being off ticked, I think I can't remember who won year four. They called it Big Brother Boar because it was so dull. Cameron from the Orkney Islands. He was a priest, I think. <laughs> it was such a bad year for Big Brother. It really, it just bombed that year, but then it went back up. Um, How come you think Jade didn't win then that year? Because the louder you are, the more argumentative you are, and the louder you are, the more Marmite you are. So think of like the most annoying, loud... Like a Gene Simmons type. You either love him or you, or you hate, hate him. him. Yeah. But when you hate him, you really yeah. hate him. Yeah, people like Russell Brand. I don't, I don't know, get that as well. People either like him... And divisive like, people. Yeah, yeah, divisive people. But they're not, nece- they're not necessarily horrible. Yeah, but when yeah, you yeah. are such a big character... Unashamedly. Yeah. Large. You then put yourself... I mean, people just... But the thing is, it's the same with me. Like, you know, there were a lot of people who watched Big Brother who were like, oh, can't stand Kate, want Jade to win, or can't stand Johnny, want Alex to win. And that, you're always going to have people who like Picking you. Their sides. But it's just like life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You walk into a new job and you decide who you like and who you don't. You can't like everyone. No one's, no one can like everyone. But I think that's perhaps why, perhaps why Jade didn't win. Also, you know, she rubbed people up the wrong way. So... Yeah, on the final night. I mean, people thought she was going to get evicted in week one because she was so annoying. But then suddenly it went full circle with Jade yeah, and everybody it loved gained her. momentum. Yeah, but then she kept having ups and downs and one week it would be like, oh, she'd be nominated and be, and she almost went. And then people were like, Jade, Jade could win here. But the public, she, she on the last night, there was four of us left. She was the first one to go. Then it was Alex who went. Then it was Johnny and me in the final. And I, I genuinely thought I, I could win this, but... Johnny is a really strong contender. So it was awesome to win. Awesome to win 70 grand. Awesome to help my family out. Awesome to get my foot on the property ladder. And then the opportunities opportunities that came with that. I was like, right, I might just go back to work. Jeff's got my job open. And my dad was like, Kate, you can't just go back to work. Like your life's going to be very different now. And it was difficult adjusting because normally if you rise if you become famous, it's the slow rise to the top, right? Yeah. You become yeah, famous yeah, yeah. gradually. But I walked into that In a matter house, of weeks. Yeah. No, no, like nobody knowing who I was apart from, you know, my local friends. And so going to the gym the following week and having paparazzi there and people in the gym just staring at me jogging, whereas normally I'm on that treadmill jogging and no one's, everyone's just walking past you, people stopping you to talk. So it was weird having to try to adjust to that. And I felt like I adjusted, but I didn't really um, enjoy going out did you have that period where you were like drained by it a little bit yeah but i i can i I never felt i had to remind myself that these people are like people coming up to me saying i voted for you so i'd chat to them but then i was so busy after big brother i just wanted to see my friends at the weekend but then i'd spend all night talking to strangers and it was fine but my mates would be like oh we haven't seen you all night and i'd be like ah all right we'll have to have night nights in with a pizza yeah so we can properly catch up and i the going on from Big Brother after like you get invited to like premieres of stuff but I was like I don't want to walk down the red carpet I just want to go and see the film can we just go in the back door and not have to do that because <laughs> I didn't really and so I did a couple I remember going to the Gangs of New York premiere because I, really? like, I really want that was one film I wanted to see so I was like I'll do the red carpet then but it's just things like that you're like I don't know if I want to go to like every opening of every event I stayed in Beckenham people were like you're going to move to the to, to London to central London I was like no I just want to stay in Beckenham because that's where my friends and family were and that's I just wanted to stay I don't know 
grounded. But grounded, also that's where my yeah. that's where my home was. I didn't need to make any new friends or you know what I mean, go and live in amongst because I didn't feel like did you, a genuine. Did you not I felt have like a that fraud. desire to integrate yourself into celebrity culture. But I felt then. like a fraud because you you're not a real celebrity if you've done a reality show. <laughs> you know what I mean? People are like, oh, you're a celebrity. And I'm, so you no, check yourself very early on with that. Yeah, because you're not though. You, you you're not like. I think if I'd have made my way, you know, made my way to fame being a, an actor and starring in, you know, starring as the lead at a production at the Littleton Theatre. Via craft. Yeah. But then now you've obviously, and we'll sort of jump forward, I guess, were the radio offers on the table straight away after Big Brother I, or was it more TV or more, more TV. other reality shows? What was coming through? More TV. And when does the radio start? The radio started the next day, actually. I the next day? The, the next day after Big Brother, I, I went to Capital and did an interview. And I think it was with, I've got a feeling it was Foxy, but it might have been Margarita Taylor. And um, I went in, did the interview. And it was like, Kate's with us. She's one Big Brother. Have you checked your bank balance yet? I was like, no, I'm going to go and do that right after this interview. I want to see if there's 70 grand in there. And was it? It was amazing. I had seventy. That's a good statement to I had get, seventy thousand four hundred eighty-three pounds, which is worth the show asking before. But yeah, the um, yeah the the interview went so well on Capital. I just had a really great time that they then phoned. I then had a meeting with an agent. It was like you've got to have an agent because lots of those offers are coming in. Yeah, so yeah. Brian Dowling got in touch and was like be with my agent she's ace and he'd won the year before so I thought do you know what let's just do that I haven't got a clue what I'm doing I don't even know what an agent does my dad I was like can't my dad be my agent genuinely I asked that question what does an agent do I didn't have a clue um and they were like no no no. your dad can't be your agent you need to get a pro in so yeah I went to see the agent they were like capital loved you they want to know if you want to do um some cover for Steve Pink when he goes on holiday doing the late show so I did a week's cover and then have you ever thought about radio in that way at all before no. that moment no no because you've always been such a natural, especially on radio to me. It's weird because... Did once, you fall in love with it quickly? You, What's your relationship no, with radio been like, no? No, like, well, you know, like I said, I wanted to do, I was, I was well into drama and I wanted to, do, to, be, to be an actor. I wanted to be on the stage. After I left and then I started working, I was over that. Then, you know, I go to Tokyo. I think I'll teach kids English. Then I come back and then I do Big Brother. And then, you know, while I was working in an investment bank doing IT help desk, which I hated, but... I always thought I'm never going to try for, to do the radio. I'm never going to try and do TV. I'm just going to do investment banking. Before I did Big Brother, I was chatting loads to the investment bankers downstairs, traders, sorry. And I was about to start learning. I wanted to go and do that. That's what I wanted to do, trading. I used to go down there to help the guys fix their PCs. And I was like, I want to do this. There was traders shouting things and being all loud. I was like, this is my, this is what I want to my do. people. They were like, right, we'll get you down here then. Come and train and come and be a trader. And I was like, I'm going to do it. And I think that's what I would have done had I stayed at UBS because being up in IT, just sitting there at a computer waiting for someone to call saying, my PC's on fire, just wasn't the one. So yeah, that, but I wouldn't have tried to get into radio. But when I got asked to do it, I was like, oh wow, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So yeah, then I got I covered for a week on Capital for Steve Pink, a late show, loved it. Did another week's cover and on then, your own, it's just solo yeah, with a with a producer called uh, Bethan Davies, who is just was one of the best people I've ever met. She's she was American. She used to work at Heart and uh, Adam Kay, who's now over at Bauer. He's a producer who used to produce uh, Ricky Melvin and Charlie on Kiss Breakfast, um, and he used to do Capital Breakfast as well. 
So I had two brilliant people working with me. I couldn't have asked for a better team and I did two weeks cover and then I got Hit Music Sunday with Andy Peters and we did a year of that. Really? Andy Peters? Andy Peters, the Is he legend. a nice guy? Such a nice guy. Yeah. The healthiest man I've ever met. He, he's always looked just kind of oh, like an action figure come to life. He is. He is an action figure come to life. I don't believe he came out of anyone's vagina. He was bought... Just straight out of a cellophane packet. Straight, yeah, it's from Toys R Us. <laughs> he's, he's, he looks like G.I. Joe. Is that the guy? He'd come in with edamame and homemade, like, gluten-free banana... Not even that that was a thing back then. Yeah, before it was Banana cool. bread. And I would be rolling up with a Big Mac meal and a, a chicken nuggets and a strawberry milkshake, <laughs> hungover as fuck. Unfortunately, that year of radio came to an abrupt end because I had a year contract, but I'd also discovered uh, drugs. I was going to say. I'd also discovered drugs. Yeah, yeah. And I'd also discovered nightclubs and DJing. And I bought myself the first set of CDJ 1000 Mark IIs, the first, the first Pioneer CDJs they ever bought out. I went and bought them with a Pioneer mix and I said, I'm going to learn to DJ. And I was raving hard and i did not specifically take what style of music house music house house and house music house music through and through i was going to defected nights head candy nights i was in my early 20s i had not long come out of big brother but i was really into the party scene and you i just wanted to get free guest lists to a lot of cool clubs yeah and i just wanted to party yeah and so i would be turning up on a sunday afternoon to hit music sunday and, Hanging. and and also I will say this Andy wanted it to be his he wanted to be driving it with me just chipping in so I felt like you know I could just turn up he can do if the heavy they, lifting yeah. and I can just bounce off I him. think if I'd have if, I think if it would be my show maybe I'd have taken it a little bit more seriously I'd like to think that anyway but at the time I was not in I was not my 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 mind was not set on radio and I do wish that somebody had said to me had sat me down second regret coming on I, well this isn't a regret no. this is like a kind of wish I wish somebody had... No, it's not a regret this because... Go on. I, I'm glad it didn't happen then because I don't believe it would have happened now. Do you see what I mean? So I wish somebody had sat me down there and said, like, take this seriously because you only get one shot. After Big Brother, it's, it, you get thrown a lot of stuff, but it doesn't last forever until the next year. You're then There's forgotten a window, about. right? Yeah. A window of time. You, and go you've from, gotta... you go from up their A-list to Z-list very quickly and no one wants you for TV shows. No one wants you for radio shows. Had my year contract. I don't think they felt like I was... And I remember having my chat with Rick Blackstone and he was like, you're not, you're not really into this, are you? And I was like, no. He was like, cool, we're not renewing your contract. And that's when it hit me. I was like, shit, I've just lost a potential radio slot. If I'd have done really well on Capital at the weekend, who knows what I could have done. You could have done club DJing through that then. And, and I could have worked on that radio station. But this is where I don't regret it. What happened next? I went to Kerrang. That was and right after that, was it? No, wow. I, I then went and de- learnt to DJ, taught myself to DJ and w- had a mad four years. I'd say, yeah, four years DJing in nightclubs all around the UK and the world. And Full time. That was yeah. that was the gig. Yeah. I did wow. Love Island in the meantime, Celebrity Love Island. Oh, yeah, yeah, for the yeah. Last yeah two I weeks. you'd done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I just yeah. went in for the last two, couple of two weeks, raised my profile a bit. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. Got some gigs off the back of that. Almost like a recharge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a recharge. Kate <laughs> Lawler Mark too. did that. And then I remember Tim Shaw... Um, he's a dude I want to talk to you about because he, for please. me, I never worked with him, but he, for me, is as close as the UK ever got to Howard Stern. Like his shock prankster approach, but then also he would go and, you know, interview someone like a Holocaust survivor. And he was such a fucking radio genius. 
And he really shook head. up the whole industry, didn't he, at that point in time? For Tell me anyone that's done what Tim Shaw has done since then. In the UK, no one. No one. Absolutely no one. And I've never, in my 11 years in the radio industry, met anyone like Tim Shaw. Never met anyone who presents like him, who produces like him, who preps like him, who edits like him. He is, like you said, a radio genius. And I don't use that word very often. No. He's, he's, a, he's a radio genius. His mind works in ways I've never seen any human beings work before. And it's, 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 a weird, it's weird, isn't it, how your life pans out? I was raving hard, heavily, you know, partying at the weekends. I didn't have a lot going on in my life after, after Love Island. I was, just, I was just DJing. That's how I was making my money. I had lots of tax bills to pay. I wasn't saving my money. I was reckless. I wasn't... I was going off the rails. Tim... Big Brother was on again, Big Brother 27 or whatever it was back then. My agent calls me and says, Tim Shaw from Kerrang Radio wants to interview you on the phone about Big Brother. I was like, yeah, go on, then I'll do it. He phones me at my flat. I'm, I'm waking up from a very late night. Oh, hi, Tim Shaw. And he's like, hi, let's talk about Big Brother. Had a great chat with him for his show, which was the asylum back then on Kerrang. Late Legendary night show. show. Legendary show. He says to me, that was a great chat afterwards. When, next, next time you're in Birmingham, come and be a guest on the show. I went, that's funny. I'm DJing in Birmingham this weekend, Saturday night. He went, stay, stay over Sunday night as well and be a guest on my show. So I did. And I went in. I DJed on the Saturday night. I went in and I was a guest on the asylum. And we basically co-hosted the show. We ended up just co-hosting together. And after that, he said to me, if ever I get the breakfast show on Kerrang Radio, you need to do it with me. And I was like, oh, I don't, but I've only ever done like, a Sunday show with Andy Peters <laughs> with G.I. <laughs> Joe. Kind of vibe. I was like, I couldn't do a breakfast show with you. He went, well, I reckon they might ask me one day. If they do, I'll give you a call. I never thought I'd hear from him again. And I left. And six months later, I was at home in my flat. I was, I was making a mix, a CD mix. Rinsing sounds. <laughs> <laughs> making a mix. And the phone rings, Tim Shaw. I went, hello. He went, what are you doing? I was like, just doing a mix. He went, no, what are you doing with your life, Lola? What are you doing right now? And I said to him, Nothing, just DJ. He went, I've got the breakfast show. Gordon Davidson's here. I've told him I'm not doing it unless you do it with me. Gordon, here's Kate. Hello. I'm like, hello. He says, hi, I'm Gordon. I've got Tim here who says he doesn't want to do the breakfast show with anyone else but you, which puts me in a very awkward situation because I'm the programmer of the radio station and usually I like to kind of employ people who I would recommend. So can we have a meeting? Had a meeting with him and he didn't even make us do a demo. The next thing I knew, I had, two, I had a month to decide whether I wanted to move, move to Birmingham and do a full-time radio gig Which on a rock station. as well, and, and the rock element On a rock also, slash yeah. metal radio station. I hadn't even heard of Bring Me The Horizon at this point. Well, I don't I, think they would have even been a band I don't at that think point. I did, no, do you know who I hadn't heard of, which is really bad? Foo Fighters. Really? Hadn't even who heard of Foo Fighters. Who now you obviously love. Yeah, who yeah, were yeah. one of my favourite bands and yeah. I'm going to see them. And, like, I literally cannot even believe that in 2007... I guess when you're in a club lifestyle, yeah. though, and you're, especially if you're DJing, there's That's no a, I never once listened to the radio. through your ears yeah, ever, yeah. is there? It's just mixing all the time. It's just mixing Raving. the time and, and not listening to the radio. Like maybe if I'd listened to Radio 1 or, or, or even XFM at the time, I didn't even know You'd if that was around. you heard the hives yeah, and all those bands yeah. coming through, yeah. Yeah, So or even Kerrang! at the time, but I didn't. So I went there and I was like, right, I, I'll take the job. I'll take it. And then I was like, hang on a minute, do I really want to do this? I had my family saying, you can't move to Birmingham. Like, but my dad's saying it's a really good opportunity. There was also people saying, but you can't leave your mates. It's Birmingham. You've got to leave Kent. And then I thought to myself, you know what? The longevity of DJing and, you know, it was getting into the stage with me DJing where you had to produce. 
you had to produce to be getting gigs and I didn't want to really produce I just wanted to DJ I didn't want to sit in a studio all weekend making music that's not that wasn't my vibe so I thought right I'm gonna do it so I moved and um yeah we were doing the breakfast show for about four months maybe six tops and then Tim Shaw got fired for rigging a competition (laughs) As if out of everything he ever did, was. that was what got him. He he has been fired more than any DJ ever on UK radio, possibly the world. Maybe the world, yeah. He came up with some of the most genius He's a radio master ideas. of self-promotion as well, and he managed to somehow become tabloid news, <laughs> didn't he? He became tabloid news when I went up there as well. He said, we're going to fake you hitting me, and then it will go get it in the papers. And it did. You got to pretend to hit me, but actually hit me, and we got a photographer in the studio, and they got it in the news. It was just he was, yeah, he was. He knew how to uh, he knew how to get himself in the in the press. Back then, there was again not really there was MySpace at the time. There was no Facebook or Twitter no or Facebook none of that. No, he was just in the Daily Star. Yeah, <laughs> Daily Star always when everyone read it. Yeah, because obviously the other thing now is people don't read print. Or watch the news as much as they do because they get it from such alternative and disparate avenues. Mm -hmm. Whereas back in those days, there were certain channels where everyone just got a certain type of news. Mm -hmm. And if you're in that, then you are a cultural pop icon, aren't you? He was getting there, wasn't he? Yeah. And then he got breakfast. And I thought, this could be huge. And it was just such an awful reason to get fired. Was there more at play? Did he want off? Did they want him out? Was there more? Uh, I I will never know. Actually, you'll never know. Uh, but I part of me part. I'll never uh, say. Half, no, half half of the people who worked at Kerrang at the time were like, he did this himself. He didn't want. I was like, come on, he must have. He he wanted that breakfast show so much. Why would he sabotage it after such a short period of time? Like he knew how much it meant to me. He knew he he loved working with me. He used to say every day, we are a great team. I love this job. We have the best job ever, don't we? And so did you thinking, feel exactly the yeah, same? Did you absolutely love it? I did. I loved him. And I thought, why would you, why would you, why would you sabotage this whole like breakfast show just for like, you just wouldn't do that. No. And if you was going to sabotage it, it would be something way more extravagant and, and to go on to then and, do something yeah. even bigger. And yeah. what did you do after Kerrang? I know he did a, like um, that Balls of Steel show for a bit. Yeah, he did. And he's done Fifth Gear or Top Gear or something like a car show. And he did show. that program about, did you see the scientific program he did on BBC on Sunday nights? No. It was a really good, it was just all about like everything he wanted to know show. about science, but in a way that wasn't like nerdy. So it was accessible and it fun. It was, and, yeah, yeah, watching it on TV, like things blowing up. What makes this blow up? Do you know what I mean? So he did that and it was a really good series, but I don't think they renewed it, but he... He taught me everything. I, from those six months that I worked with him, I watched how he prepped. I watched how he edited interviews and, you know, even just played with the levels and how he got into an interview, how he got out of an interview, the questions he asked and the ideas he came up with. And I just think I've him to thank for, the, for, for me, him and Neil Fern and Gordon Davidson for putting me on the radio in the first place it's for where I am today because Tim... I was just I can't I, I can't believe he's still he's not on the radio now I would love to hear him on the radio he did Fubar, you know don't you you're right okay yeah yeah he was instrumental in setting that radio station up right and I'm not sure if Fubar's still going now yeah it's still around Is it? yeah yeah he started that and I'm pretty sure he did a show on it whether he's still doing one now I'm not sure but I think podcasting maybe took some of the heat away from them because their original goal was this unfiltered, unedited talk radio. Ah, and then nice. literally within six months to a year, podcast blow up. Along. Yeah, possibly, yeah. That makes sense. I wonder if he's doing a podcast now then. He should. 
He's he very, absolutely he's not on the, He's not on Facebook. I tried to look him up on Twitter and I couldn't find him. Do you know who I met? His ex-wife at Reading last summer. Hayley. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I met her And once. Um, I can't remember how the conversation started, but I found out who she was and I was. Just, all, I then just spent all night just kind of going, Tim's amazing. And she's like, oh, fuck <laughs> off. I get this all the time. And she's like, and to be honest, he is. And she's like, <laughs> he's, he's a fucking dickhead, but he is great and he's a good dad. And, and she was just indulging me and letting me sort of just fanboy on her ex-husband. Because yeah. he's a genius and he, even Alex Baker, I guess Alex trained under him as well, right? And Alex is, aside from Tim... Obviously, everyone knows Alex Baker is a champion of music, and that's what he's known for. But aside from that, for me, he is the second biggest radio genius behind Tim. The kind of level yeah. of production and creativity that he'd put into the Alex Baker oh, show. Oh, my goodness. That which show. Which was just tucked away on Kerrang! on a yeah. Sunday night, and he would be in the studio for hours and hours and hours, making like Lord of the Rings-esque the show openers. <laughs> Everything from production, but to his presenting as well. He was a great, he is a great presenter, Alex. One of my bloody heroes. You know why that's, you know how going back to where I said, this is why I don't regret working at Capital. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think, well, if I'd have stayed at Capital, I would have learned anything about radio and about life. Because no offense, but the people I met at Kerrang were some of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. And the most open-minded and liberal-thinking people, it opened my eyes to a world outside of, like, the world I grew up in. Yeah. And, you know, the the newspapers I was reading because they were at my parents' house. And I felt like I learned so much about the world and a little bit about history just from working at Kerrang. The people I spoke to about politics about just everything that was going on in music and about film johnny doom as well one of like everyone there i i, I just i look back and i just think i learned so much not just about radio but about the world from all these people between the year 2007 and 2013 i felt i had a higher education yeah Gee, i, really I just got the tail end of it and i'm eternally grateful for that because for me that station was such a, a hub of, as you say, creative, intelligent, interesting, lovely, really different personalities. Yeah, really and we different. all blended in such a magical way. We bashed heads over music, but that was the only thing that anyone, <laughs> that was the only thing that anyone ever argued about. Argued about. Music. And that was all because we were passionate. Yeah. There was no egos. There Nothing. was egos, but they didn't sort of manifest themselves in a negative or poisonous way there yeah. was no backstabbing there was no one-upmanship yeah. going on at all everyone was a family on the same playing field trying to serve the greater purpose mm -hmm. and in our own beautiful bubble yeah outside of yeah. any other industry or it was and ultimately i guess in the downfall <sighs> of it was that we had such a good thing that they kind of must have realized one day that oh hang on a minute <laughs> they're just existing out there like a moon in bliss it's still it's still going. Of but, course, but, the station like, is. It was, I'm talking when you look about, about that office big, and that mix yeah, of personalities. How big it was and how you could access Kerrang! Like going from how how many people it reached yeah. and how many ways you could access it to what it is now. It's devastating. And but I look back at those times so fondly. Like it was some of the best years of my life. The people I met, like you said, they weren't just creative and 
educational but they like they were lovely people everybody and we were such a, a there's just such a broad range of characters weren't yeah. there like even when you think of Keith in his little production office Keith Loz how funny everyone was everyone was so Loz, different Loz and Christian the two most like the, cookies and most cream different, yeah they were literally <laughs> chalk and cheese but their show was oh my god it was fantastic so yeah good times at Kerrang it breaks my heart what happened to that radio station I still have people not so much now but up until about, I think maybe when I, obviously the whole time I was in Birmingham after that, um, and, the, and and still when I was doing Kerrang Breakfast, but not from Birmingham. Yeah. People coming up to me going, what, oh, it's such a shame what's happened to Kerrang. Um, and people still tweeting every now and then saying, I miss Kerrang. Was the year that they closed the offices, you were obviously nominated for Entertainment Show of the Year, mm-hmm. and the station, station was nominated for Station of the Year against mm-hmm. Six Music and Radio 2. Like we were the, echelon sort of peak of its creative power and they go yeah we've got to pull the plug here yeah devastating so everyone's losing their jobs except five of you when yeah. moving to london the birmingham office is being burnt to the ground after kerrang ends but you still work for them you're then doing another show at the same time mm-hmm. so you're doing two radio shows a day yeah so i did wow. key 103 in manchester uh-huh. which was syndicated across a network of radio stations in the north so it went out across Seven stations, like in Manchester, Liverpool, Nottingham, Hull, like all the north. So you're like a Leeds, queen of the north. Leeds, yeah. Just how was that moving? Because you've almost kind of gone from south to Midlands to north. Do you find that you're embraced by people in different areas of the UK? Yeah, I think I also uh, w- was very lucky um, going to places that were very friendly. Yeah, and I noticed just how friendly Birmingham and Manchester were when I moved back to London. I walked my right. dog in the park. That's yeah. when I really noticed it and got on yeah, a bus yeah. and got on a train. It's crazy. The friends I made from walking my dog in Birmingham and Manchester. I have lived in London for three years now and I, I reckon and there's not one person who I would say that I stop and talk to on a daily basis in the park. And that it's should mad. give you a license to become buds, shouldn't it? A dog is like an icebreaker of the highest order, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's meant to attract you, sort of, of like-minded, enthusiastic... You will have a dog by walking in the park and you'll walk past someone with the dog and you'll say morning. But then you walk past with some, somebody without a dog and that person doesn't even look at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. One, day I, one day I decided to say hello to everybody in the park I saw. Yeah. Even without a dog. People were freaked out. Yeah, yeah. They were weirded out. I don't out. know you. Weirded out. Why are you coming at me that way? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it was so funny. So they really, they were really lovely. Um, in Manchester, they, they were very... Um, and you obviously still have, well, then and now, a love of radio. Because <laughs> obviously other avenues maybe would have presented themselves after Kerrang. You might have thought, oh, is it time for something new? Did you yeah. have that think? Well, when I did Key 103, it was the late show. So it was 10 p.m. to 1 in the morning. And I was thinking, Sunday to Thursday, it's, it's the graveyard shift. What am I going to do after this? I need to get like, back Like, am I being London. edged out? I don't, yeah, so, yeah, because yeah, I'd yeah. gone from doing Kerrang Breakfast, yeah. Kerrang Drive. Then suddenly I'm doing Key 103 Lates um, in the north. So I'm not down south, but you can only get these stations in the north. So all my family are like, oh, can we listen to you? And I'm like, yeah, you can, but you can't listen on FM if you're down south but I love living in Manchester don't get me wrong it was a great city it's a really cool city when I moved to Birmingham and Manchester though when I lived there I had to say no to a lot of opportunities that were presenting themselves in London just because it it, it just for you to get there for me wouldn't to get make there, as much yeah. financial sense yeah, yeah. It, like the, what the voiceovers or it was, everything not not it was just mainly things like I'd have the opportunity to be a guest on a TV show or do a guest thing on here or do a shoot here but logistically it just didn't work so I had to say no to a lot which meant my profile dipped and then I was suddenly on the late show I found myself 
thinking thinking I want to do a show bigger than this I want to be back on daytimes and I want to be in London and so my contract ended at Key <clears throat> they didn't renew it and so I moved back to London at the time I was uh, so at this point you're just unemployed unemployed yeah and I was for the with first my time in how long a long well, time actually right? I was still doing Kerrang Breakfast at that time but you got to remember that was a show that was pre-recorded it wasn't live and what Oh, it was pre-recorded every day yeah. and I was it took, me, it took me no time at all to do it and I didn't get paid a lot of money to do it either there no was doubt. no money at all so, yeah. and it certainly wasn't enough money to live in London but I moved back here because my boyfriend said just come back you'll find work this was probably the most scared I've ever been about my future in this industry I thought to myself or indeed back. ever maybe yeah I actually do think yeah the most frightened because I think when I came back from Tokyo and I was like, oh, what am I going to do? It was more of a, it was more of a, oh, I didn't want to do that, but I can do anything else. Yeah. Now I've done my brother. I've been on TV. I've been in the radio, I've been in the radio industry for what? I don't know, eight years. Excuse me. And I'm thinking to myself, I I don't want to go and work in an office. I don't want to do a regular job. I want to stay in radio. This is a job I enjoy. I've got so much passion for the music. What do I do next? My boyfriend was so supportive and I can't even begin to tell you how much he got me through that year of my life. It was a very difficult year because I was thinking to myself, oh, do I come back to London? Do I stay in Manchester? I came down to London. I went and met up with a voiceover agency and I got some voiceover work. It was great. I was still doing my Kerrang thing. Luckily, I got a few good voiceover jobs. It's good money. It's so easy as well. <clears throat> yeah. I did a job for Foxy Casino and it was really well paid. And Where's it, that based? It was, well, no, it was... Foxy a, Casino. You know, you know <laughs> like Foxy Bingo. One. You know right, Foxy right, Bingo. Right. They did like Foxy Casino and they <laughs> just asked me to do one voiceover for them and it was in town uh, at Wise Buddha yeah, Voiceover yeah. Studios. That's, that's who I'm with. And uh, yeah, it was, it was good enough to keep me, uh, you know, to pay my rent for a good few months while I looked for work. And... So I was still doing Kerrang! And then I got an offer um, to do... Then, I, that was it. By chance, one of my good friends from Manchester says to me, Kate, can I stay on your sofa on Sunday night? I'm going to a radio conference tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, of course you can. And I was like, what are you, what are you doing Sunday night? Let's go out for dinner. I haven't seen you for ages. Let's catch up. So me and him go out for dinner. And he's like, what are you doing now? And I'm like, nothing. I'm trying to get another job in radio. I've approached X. I've approached Absolute nothing's coming up and he said to me oh i'm going to this radio conference tomorrow and i tell you who i've got a meeting with the new pd of virgin radio and i was like virgin he was like it's coming back i've got a meeting with him about some stuff and he wasn't a presenter and he was just he was like a producer this guy um paul fernley and he was like i'll i'll mention to him that you're keen to to get a job in radio and you've moved back to london so i was like oh my god i didn't even know virgin was coming back Anyway, he then messaged me the next day going, I've just met Liam Thompson. He says he's giving me, uh, he's, he's giving me his email to give to you. So I email Liam Thompson. I'm like, hi, Liam, I understand Virgin Radio is coming back. Can we have a coffee? He said, absolutely. We meet for a coffee. He says, make me a demo. Send it to me. I sent him a demo of all my best bits. I At this hear- point, you've got a real strong arsenal of material. As yeah, well, I, I think I do. But yeah. then I don't hear from him and I'm devastated. And I thought I'd sent him some real gold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sony nominated but I kind think, of gold. Yeah, I yeah. thought I could, I could do Virgin if it's coming back. I, I can see myself on a station like this because I like my guitar music. It's, it, I mean, I remember Virgin from when it was when Absolute was Virgin 12, back in the day. Was yeah, the old frequency, right? Yeah, and so I was like, I, this is this is my calling. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do Virgin, and then it just went away, and I was like devastated. And I was just about to take another job that I'd been offered for Bauer for Heat Radio, and I was like. Oh, 
I was just about to sign on the dotted line and I was like, it was for breakfast on heat and suddenly I get uh, an email from Liam Thompson. Hi Kate, out of the blue. And it's so weird how the world works, but like suddenly out of the blue. Hi, just let you know, I've not forgotten about you. And I was like, are you kidding me straight away? I was like, I'm just about to put pen to paper to a contract for another radio station. It will be signed this week. We know when I'm meant to be starting. They're already talking about me to salespeople and getting show sponsorship and stuff. It's on. The right? wheels are in motion, yeah. sister. I've told my friends what's happening. I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go and do this job. I email him straight back and go, are you joking? I'm just about to sign a contract for another radio station. And he says, what's your agent's number? So he calls my agent. My agent rings me and she's like, Kate, I've just had Liam Thompson on the phone from Virgin. He says to me that he wants to give you daytimes, one till four. And I literally like, what? Are you kidding me? I'm just about to... So anyway... I then, met, I then meet Liam with Becca the next night because we're like, we're just about to sign a contract. It's coming over this week. So we meet him and he says, look, this is who we've got lined up. This is going to be the, like, this is the music we're going to play. Oh God. And it was just so much more up my street. And I was like, and also it was better times. You know, once That has always between. been my dream slot. That's I wanted that on Kerrang! So you could bring in bands during the day, just have them hang out. Mm-hmm. Like I love the um, the live lounge stuff that Radio yeah. 1 used to do in the afternoon. Oh, it's the dream gig. You get your mornings, you get your evenings. Yeah, you can go You're out to gigs and have a drink and still wake up with a, yep. you know, time to prep. And you, yeah, it, it's perfect. And actually Liam did say when I had a coffee with him, what, what do you want to do now? And I said, one till four is the dream slot. I've done breakfast, I've done drive, I've done lates, the graveyard shift, I've done weekends. I've never done one till four I'd love to do daytimes I'd love to be on the radio during the day getting people through their lunch and he was like okay and so that's the gig I got and that's how I got it thanks to my mate Paul coming down and staying with me and us happening to to go out for dinner and him going I'm meeting Liam it's so weird isn't it and me sending him my demo and I've just signed another 18 months and it's going really well at Virgin we're growing It's, it's a slow burner though we've changed our music policy a lot over the past 18 months but we're at a point now where we're growing our streaming numbers are the highest they've ever been our music is on point we've got a new music programmer christian smith who's lovely and yeah i just really enjoy the team i enjoy mike cass who is our new program director i enjoy working with him so much he's such a good help um is edith still, still on there? me stuff huh is edith bowman still on there edith's not anymore no no she left after 18 months I think right right we now have Sam and Amy from Gem 106 who used to, who did the Gem 106 breakfast show in Nottingham for like or the East Midlands for about 14 years and they won all the Sonys and all the Archivas they just won so many awards and they they are now doing a breakfast show which is completely different to what Edith did um, but more in line with kind of the breakfast shows you'd hear on maybe Capital and Heart a breakfast show then a breakfast show yeah, yeah. Like and Eddie Temple Morris is there now right oh my god one of the nicest guys yeah. I've ever met. I DJed with him about eight years ago on a boat for Did a Halloween you? party. What was and that he's, like? he's just a sweet, cool guy. Like, he's one of the definitions of effortless cool. Because <laughs> cool can kind of presume arrogant or... He's just cool. Comes yeah. naturally to him. Yeah, he knows his stuff. He's so passionate about every song he plays. Even if he's playing Breakfast, Breakfast at Tiffany's, deeply, deeply something, right? Yeah. He'll be passionate about it. He... I've known I've known him since he started at Virgin. I never met him before, and I was just like, "Wow, Eddie Temple Morris, are you kidding me?" 
Um, I love having him on the station. He is, he's, he's got me into juicing. He's got me into meditation. Has he he's really? Got me into so, he's, he's, he's a really positive helped influence with, in your life. Yeah. He's been a massive positive, a massive positive influence in my life. He's, he's really helped with my, uh, with my mental health over the last six months. Um, so I'm eternally grateful for him. And then Matt Richardson, who is also a comedian, does drive time. I met him. Yep. I met him when? at a, as a, as an event. I think it was maybe a Smashing Pumpkins event, but he came along. He's kind of got black hair. Yeah. And he does drive. Does he he drive on his own? Yeah. First radio gig he's done. Yeah. But yeah, you can tell he's a comedian when you're listening to. I've never heard his show, but he he sounds like a comedian when you hang out with him. Yeah. And he sounds like a comedian on the radio. He doesn't doesn't have a partridge radio voice. Yeah, yeah. He's just a comedian talking between songs, which is, I think, great for Virgin. So yeah, it's, um, it's a good place to be. I'm still doing voiceovers. I do a bit of continuity for Sky as well now. So I script write and have to go over to Skyberia, they call it because it's so far away in West London um, <laughs> once a week and sit in a booth and record continuity so the bits between TV shows. Oh, so you so, go coming up next. Yeah, da, 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 da. so you'll hear me on Real Lives. Um, Do you know where I saw you? It was about, it might, the time frame might be off, about two to three months ago, I went to stay with a friend in London and him and his girlfriend watching Big Brother and it what? was like the show after Big Brother and you're, and you're just sat on this table drinking champagne. It's like right at the end of the show and I was like, is that Kate? And you just seem to be hanging out, having a drink. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit on the side. Right. So is that yeah. like the new it's like, little brother? Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, Big Brother's a bit on the side with Ryland, who got famous from X Factor, but then went into Big Brother. And I think he might have even won it. But he now hosts that show and is hilarious. And they just asked me to go back because it was... It was a special year for Big Brother this year because it was 100 years since women in the UK got the right to vote. So they basically sent all women in for the first few days. So they were like, we want an all-woman panel for the launch night. It's been ages. You've never done bit on the side. Why not now? And I thought, you know what? Why not now? Let's go and do it. And it was really nice to be back at Elstree and very surreal as well at the same time, seeing seeing the studios that kind of propelled me to... I don't know. To be on life in the stocks. To be on life in the stocks, <laughs> where I am now. <laughs> Kate, I need to go have a quick wee and then we'll wrap it up when I'm okay. back. Um, is that cool with you? You can go and pee. So right now... You can just do a little monologue. This is amazing because like, you said you're not cutting anything out. First door on the left. First door on the left. Yeah. Matt Stocks has gone for a pee. Let's have a look at his notes. What hasn't he asked me? Do you know what? I really need a pee, but I'm one of those people that just holds it and I'll probably be in a nappy by the time I'm 60. What was it like? <gasps> oh, he didn't ask me that and I'm really glad he didn't ask me that. I'm not going to repeat it though. Oh, he's asked me everything. I'm wondering if I've got any dirt on Matt Stocks, but if I have, he'll edit this out because he's going to listen to this before he puts it out. So I'm just going to have a chocolate biscuit. If you've ever wondered... What I sound like eating chocolate biscuit. You're about to find out. Mm. Pick up minis. I'm eating pick up minis. I think they're a German biscuit. They're like a sandwich. Chocolate spread between two biscuits. So good. 
This room? Yeah. When did you get this? Matt's oh. just coming from the toilet. I've got a really weird item in my toilet. It's the Olympic torch. <laughs> is, is it actually, is there a the Olympic torch and this is it? Yeah. How have you got that? I'm, I'm just going to set it on the chair there. It is a genuine Olympic torch from the London 2012 Olympic Games. Pass your microphone to me one second. There we go. Something had, something had gone awry. It's, um, what have you been doing whilst I've been out of there? I don't know. I, so, put, it, I put it down so I could have a, a pick-up. An actual Olympic torch? Yeah. Just in the bathroom? Yeah. Well, That's so gangster. <laughs> you know what's great? Anyone who comes to my house who needs a pee will yeah. come out and just be like, oh my, what? Is, is that really good talking point? It is. Yeah. Should have done that at the start of the podcast, shouldn't you should I? Should have gone for a pee before we... <laughs> do you know what? That was really random. There's loads of those floating around. Basically, when it was the London 12... 12 uh, when it was the London 2012 Olympic Games, uh-huh. they, you know, they, um, the torch runs from... Is it John O'Groats to Land's End? I'm pretty I sure so, the yeah. torch is carried from there. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. But I know it's carried across the whole of the UK and what they do is they light the torch and then the torch then lights another torch and then that person and loads of people in different communities around the UK are chosen to run so people who have done torch lots bearers, of torch bearers right so torch inspirational bearers. inspirational did you get that when you were on Kerrang yes do you not remember I brought it to the Kerrang studios it's all coming back yes. to me now and I ran through Dudley with that torch amazing and they were like do you want to run through Birmingham with the torch and I was like yes I can't wait to run through Birmingham in the end it was Dudley no offence to Dudley but I was in Dudley running with the torch and it was about I don't know I ran probably for about 10 minutes and you kind of run and you stop and you, you people are there like excited because they're everybody presumes you're running with the torch that's, but you are kind of just you do pass your torch on and so there's always a torch lit yeah I'm like hang on a minute it's all coming back to me now I did run with the actual torch. Of course I did. You run with the torch and then that's passed on to the next person. And the torch is, I mean, the security around you because you are running with the torch that has the flame. But every torchbearer then gets their own torch. I've just um, realised something I wanted to ask you to finish. What you highlighted there is when you have a career in sort of broadcasting and presenting, other than getting to interact with people on a daily basis, which is obviously the key component and the big sort of selling point and the, the draw, right? It's what makes it magic. Aside from that, you get to do kind of crazy, weird, bizarre, fun, inspiring things like run with the Olympic torch. <clears throat> Are there any other things like that that have stuck out from your career, situations that you put into that you've just felt really privileged and honoured and kind of quite humbled? One of the most humbling moments of my career actually was only this weekend. I was so honoured and privileged to be asked to host the Teenage Cancer Trust at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, it's an event that's been going for 18 years now. Roger Daltrey. Well, Roger Daltrey, I got to meet briefly when I was on Kerrang! And he came in maybe for your show or Loz's show. And he was so cool and just like, all right, mate, yeah, yeah, go get a vinyl. I'll sign it for you. Just like a real cheeky cockney yeah. down I, to I remember earth. him walking through the building when I was on air. It was when I was on air because I think I remember James sending an email around saying, don't everyone ask for selfies. And yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm not going to bother, but... I just don't want to stress him out. Yeah, yeah. But he is so lovely, just so like that. So nice. And he has the most infectious laugh you've yeah, ever yeah, heard. Yeah. When he starts laughing, everyone laughs. We were backstage yeah, yeah. On, on Sunday night and he was so 
just so genuinely friendly and lovely and warm and smiley and every time he laughed I just couldn't help but laugh with him and he's an Arsenal fan I so it was a pleasure to meet him so how him. did that gig come about so Emma B who you might have seen host on Wednesday night um, she phoned me in fact she phoned my agent and then my agent called me on Wednesday morning saying Kate an interesting opportunity has come up Tim Lovejoy was supposed to be hosting Teenage Cancer Trust at the Royal Albert Hall Friday night, but he can't do it now. Uh, Emma B has asked if you're available. And I was like, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? Talking in front of 5,000 people? No way. I'm scared. She was like, come on, you do the radio. I'm like, I do the radio and I stare at a window. No one's in the studio. You don't see them. Yeah. You don't see them. But I thought, you know what? Face your fears. This year is all about just doing what takes you out of your comfort zone. And afterwards, I know... I will feel better about it. And I did. I felt so much better after I'd done it. But at the time, I was so nervous. On Friday night, when I when I, when I, I was hosting it, the moment I walked on stage, my hand was shaking. But I got through it. And I really had a good time. After about the first 30 seconds of pooping my pants and having a sweaty top lip, I was loving it. I was loving being on stage and hosting. And, you know, the, the trust itself, the Teenage Cancer Trust charity is, is, an, is run by an amazing bunch of people. And they're also hardworking. And that week of gigs they do every year is like, it's, it's, it's brilliant because they raise so much money. But at the same time, it's kind of rewarding for everybody who takes so much time out to work for that charity and they get to be part of it and see some amazing live music and uh, help raise loads of money for charity. And Roger Daltrey... Was, is he the curator? He was kind of instrumental kind of like in setting it up. The founders were there. This old lady and uh, a man were in the box watching Def Leppard because I, I offered them a seat and I was like, you all right? Do you want a seat? And um, one of the organisers came up to me. They're the founders. They come here. They, they've been here every night this week till 2 a.m. They don't sit down. And the, the, they were like as old as your grandparents <laughs> but he, he he is instrumental in getting bands getting yeah, yeah. Ed Sheeran there getting Def Leppard there on Sunday night you know, what, some charity gigs they're not done very well yeah. but you know you have to do what, what you can right but yeah, yeah. these are always carried out in such a professional way the backstage the crew the you know the the floor manager the the director so I was literally looked after the, from the moment I walked in this is what you're going to do from every like every five minutes someone's coming up to you going you're right for this you're right for that it's brilliant but also the people who go there have a great time every night the gigs when I was there I'm sure you had a great time as well well I was in a box oh. and the reason I didn't go to Def Leppard is my friend who invited me on the Wednesday to see Roger Daltrey had a box again on the Sunday and I drank so much champagne because it's all free and I ended up texting in about four times to donate a fiver every time because I was just getting all my heartstrings pulled but I'm so broke at the moment and I've got so much going on I thought if I go to Def Leppard on Sunday <laughs> and I had to fly to Glasgow at 7am Monday morning so I had Oof. to be up at about four so I go if I go to Def Leppard on Sunday I'm going to drink about two bottles of champagne text in a bunch of texts and wake up the next day with the worst hangover and you have to and go I've got to go fly to well. Glasgow so I gave it a miss and I'm gutted because A they're one of the most fun live bands ever like it's just stripper music. Yeah. Not that there was probably people <laughs> stripping in the Royal Albert Hall at the Teenage Cancer Trust Such show, but it's they are the definition of like pour some sugar. I used to DJ in a strip club, and pour some sugar on me is the ultimate. Step inside, walk this way. <laughs> you and me, babe. Dad, hey, hey. Dad, dad. And they had the biggest production. It looked like I saw the pictures, Dude, and they it was insane. And I've never seen Def Leppard live before. And when you say the definition of stripper music, it is. I was. I was mesmerised from start to finish with Joe Elliott and Rick. I mean, Rick Allen is just... Was he topless and greased up? You didn't know. <laughs> was he not? No. Because he usually plays topless and his body <laughs> is like glistening. No. He must, he, have, he must have gone. It's the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, I think Let's he had wear his, a he shirt. Had his, he, oh, a low devil. cut little yeah. number, maybe. He might have actually had his top off. I don't know. But I was just... 
I was so drawn to their, to watching them. And I said to my friend, who was a huge Def Leppard fan, who cried when they came on stage. She was like, this is the best night of my life. Thank you so much for bringing me here. I was like... Uh, you're going to enjoy it more than I do because I like Def Leppard but I've never seen them live but then I, I had the best night of my life and we just kept saying like Joe Elliott at the end of one song he just goes he takes the microphone away and quickly snaps it back and goes Rocky Baby yeah. and does the horns <laughs> and me and my friend just kept saying to each other all night Rocky Baby it's like it's cheesy but he's so cheesy it's, it's cheesy but it's so cool at the yeah. same time like they are one of the biggest most I don't know it, they, they influence you know what you, they are they're pop video. metal which is they such a rare pop, genre yeah. Because yeah. they're heavy and they're respected in the metal world, mm -hmm. but it's just iconic eighties yeah. pop. Yeah, it is. And he even Joe even said how how influential they are as a band to um, artists that aren't Taylor even Swift. pop. Ta yeah, Taylor Swift. He was talking about Taylor Swift. It's crazy, like country music. But you know, they're just the way they write their songs. For me, like they are just one of the greatest bands of all time. I'm so glad I went to the Royal Albert Hall because having seen them on Sunday night has inspired me to buy a ticket for their tour in December. I'm going to see them at the O2. With Cheap Trick, who yeah. you will adore if you've never seen of, them. Um, you will is adore it you? Them. I think it's you. Me? Someone on Kerrang! <laughs> always used to go on about Cheap Trick. I think it was you. It might have been me. It was you. They were you through and through. <laughs> so, and, Are you coming? Are you coming I'm to watch Hysteria? We're doing it. And, uh, Joe's been on this show, Joe Elliott. He was amazing. He was really, really nice. Really I, good dude. Did you get to actually introduce them then? So or were you no, doing the in-between no, bits? I you? would have normally, but because Roger was there that night, uh, he introduced, he went on with the teenagers. So every night the 20 teenagers go yeah, on yeah. their selfie moment. Yep. And then after that, after that, that was Matt, you introduced <laughs> the band. So he introduced them. But, um, so I didn't get to introduce them, but I saw Joe backstage. Uh, I didn't see any other band members, but I saw Joe. He walked past and s spoke to Roger when we were asking Roger for a selfie, Roger Daltrey. And I was like, I should just ask Joe for a selfie now. But... I'm too scared. Are you? Are yeah. you shy in those moments? Yeah, absolutely. I never ask people for selfies. Is that more out of respect? I couldn't ask the Cortinas and I couldn't ask Blossoms. I'm just embarrassed. Oh, yeah. It, maybe it's respect because they get asked all the time and yeah, you think yeah. to yourself. Oh, and I guess you've I'll sort of experienced more of that side of life than, say, upon, me. Once upon a time. So if someone asks me for a photo, I'm like, what? <laughs> me? Yeah, dude. Let's Come on, 20. tell your friends. Let's have 20. So I'm never shy to ask someone else. Um, but yeah, maybe I'm just an arsehole as well. <laughs> Uh, we should no, wrap it up, shouldn't true. we, Kate? Because otherwise I'm going to be here all night long. I have script writing to do have as you, well. Um, have you had a nice time? This has been great. It's been uh, it's a, a pleasure. It's a bit different to the old radio vibe, isn't it? Where you kind of keep into a certain... I mean, I miss that approach to this kind of style of broadcasting. I miss scripting links in my head, knowing how I'm going to come in, knowing how I'm going to go out. Like I miss mm. that slick, tight yeah. element of radio. But this which is I where adore. you're in your element, Matt. What rambling? Yeah. No, doing doing something that isn't like you know, like you know, you've got sixty seconds to get out of a band, speak about them, and do a little bit of passion about the next band. Yeah, you are such a great host. Oh God, thanks very much. Authentic now, but like you are a great host. You are you you just you're born to do this style of uh, job. I think the podcasting thing is where what you were born to do. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.